What's your Yankee? I have 5.02 p.m. or 5.03 right now. Chair Yankee, I have 5.03 p.m. Okay, we'll go ahead and call the meeting to order of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force special meeting of January 31st, 2024. Cheryl, if you could read the uh, preamble. This is the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force, a special meeting of January 31st, 2024. It has remote access and our in-person participation information. The Sunshine Ordinance Task Force and its committees convene hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance, in-person public comment, remote access for petitioners and respondents, and remote public comment via teleconference. The WebEx remote LinkedIn information is httptinyurl period com com forward slash 324wrzk7. The password is sunshine. The telephone call in number is 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2660-962-1443 pound pound. Members of the public may participate by phone or may submit their comments by email to SOTF at SFGov.org. All comments received will be made a part of the official record. The Sunshine Ordinance Task Force agendas and their associated documents are available at SFBOS.org forward slash sunshine. Jerry Yankee, do you want to read meeting decorum? Sure. Uh, meeting decorum. Any member of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force? May call for decorum due to the disorderly conduct of meeting participants. Persons who engage in threatening and or menacing behavior may be asked to leave. Okay. Let's go ahead. Read the first, first item. Let's go to item number one. Item number one, call to order, roll call, and agenda changes. Let's begin with roll call. Member Wolf. Present. Member Wolf present. Member Hill absent. Member Pilpel present. Member Pilpel present. Member Highland absent. Member Schmidt present. Member Schmidt present. Member LaHood absent. Member Sugarman present. Member Sugarman present. Um, how do you pronounce your last name? Um, you can say Omar. Omar present. Present. Member Anderson. Present. Member Anderson present. Vice Chair Stein. Present. Vice Chair Stein present. Chair Yankee. Present. Chair Yankee present. We have a quorum. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight present. Eight. Okay, great. All right. Any agenda changes, Cheryl? Um, I am not aware of any agenda changes, but I have not heard from people unless they're thinking of something I don't know about. Anyone? All right, let's just, just in case, we'll see if there's any public comment on this item. We're into public comment for this item? Yeah. Uh, we call now for public comment on item number one. Uh, Ms. Peterson, do we have anybody in the uh, queue who would like to make public comment? If there are, if there are any members of our calling community who are, would like to make public comment, please Raise your hand by pressing star three or using the app to raise your hand. I'll give you a moment. I see no hands raised. 
Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment and move on to item number 2. Item number 2, welcome new task force member and in introductory remarks. Okay, so I understand we have a new task force member. I think it's member Kumar. Yeah. So this is just a time if you want to introduce yourself to the other members and. We'll welcome you to the team. Hi, hi all. Uh, my name is Ankita Kumar. Um, I am a freelance journalist, uh, but I also started recently started working actually last week as a lecturer at UC Berkeley uh, in their journalism school. Um, and yeah, I live um, hardly five minutes away from City Hall. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm just very excited and happy and honored to be a part of this uh, esteemed committee, this task force that really plays such a big role in upholding um, truth and facts. And that's something I feel journalists uh, across the world are not getting access to. Um, so I'm so glad we have a committee like that in San Francisco. So very happy and honored to be here. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. All right, any public comment on item number two? Public comment has been called. If you wish to play, make public comment, please raise your hand and allow us to include you in the queue. Ms. Peterson, do we have anybody ready for public comment? We have one caller. Hello, caller, you've been unmuted. Do you wish to speak on this item? Yes, please. One moment, please. Three minutes, Cheryl. Uh, yes, that's correct. Just a moment. I believe you have to set the clock. Or I, I can't. beg your pardon. Are you saying something to me? One moment, please. Mr. Warfield. Mr. Warfield, are you ready to begin? Uh, yes, if you give me a 30 second warning, please. Can you do that? Uh, I can try, but um, we also have a tone at, at the 30 second mark. We have a tone that goes off, so you should hear that. I hope to hear it. Let me know when All to right. start then. All right. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, this is Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association. We can be reached at libraryusers2004 at yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. And in case we have folks who care about privacy as well as open government, the Postal Service is basically private by law. Whereas most ways of communication, including the way the meeting is run, presumably now and via email and so on, it's not at all comparable to the post office. We give this information because it's important, uh, especially when one is participating remotely, because it's difficult for people to do what they ordinarily do or can do at a meeting, and that is see the person, approach the person, I could approach somebody and so on. So the first word is welcome to the new member. I'm disappointed not to see the name. I believe it looks like seat four is shown as vacant. And I'm wondering if that's one of the journalism uh, uh, seats. Uh, but in any case, it's always valuable to have 
what sounds like a well-qualified person and a full complement of people because as you may or may not know, uh, as you may or may not know, an absence is essentially a no vote for the public under the task force's current rules. Um, so the more there are vacancies or absences, the more the requirement becomes burdensome to get a majority, uh, to get a, not just a majority, but a majority of the seats to vote for an action, including a finding of a violation. Uh, we've had a long experience over a long period of time with uh, the Sunshine Task Force and its various, uh, uh, how shall we say, uh, memberships. And I certainly hope that uh, what you have said you value and care about happening at the uh, Sunshine Task Force is something to which you will contribute and uh, help so as to enable folks to basically get the rights that- 30 seconds. They're, they're, did you say 30 seconds? Yes, I did. Thank you. So that uh, your group can help people get the rights, which sadly are more and more frequently, it seems, uh, not respected by various uh, of the city's agencies. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Warfield. Are there any other public commenters? There was one other caller. One moment, please. Okay. Hello, caller. Sullivan. Sullivan. Uh, Hello, let Mr. me know Sullivan. when to go. One moment, Sullivan. Sure, I'll let you know when you can begin. Are you ready to begin, Mr. Sullivan? You'll have three minutes. Um, we can hear you. I'm, okay. I, I just, I don't get to say this normal course of time, uh, talking to the task force, but I want to thank you all for serving on the task force. I respect what all of you do and the time you put into the task force. Thank you for your time. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Do we have any other public commenters? There are none in the, in the, um, online community. Oh, one moment, please. There are no other callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment on this item and move on to item number three. Item number three, approval of the minutes from the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force, January 3, 2024 regular meeting. Okay, um, just one thing I noted here and then I'll open it up for any other edits that anyone else has. On page number, let's see, what is it? Page number 10, which is PDF page 11. <coughs> the final motion before item 13. Let me know when you're there. The vote for it, it's 811. Eight ayes, one no, one absent. You have member Pilpel listed both as an I and as a no. So he should be removed from the, the I section. That's all I had. Um, I'm assuming you were Pilpel has some, so I'll turn it over to him. And I didn't catch that one, so thank you. <laughs> um, so I actually had uh, 
two sets of edits. I did a, a set last week, and I'm not sure that that got in. I'm not sure if the packet today reflects um, all of those edits. Um, the substantive edits to add under. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl, does the packet online that we're looking at have the edits that member Pilpel? You gave to, yeah, right. I mean, what you what you gave me, I included. It was last Tuesday, so I don't know if it. In any event, I, I will resubmit those to the extent that they did not get captured. I just wanted to uh, relate to the task force the substantive edits. I thought in item one, after the attendance of the members, um, it was my thought that we also that we list also present uh, task force administrator. Um, Cheryl, staff, Pat Peterson, and Victor Young, and Deputy City Attorney uh, Mitch Deebs. Um, Under item one? Yeah. Um, the vice chair was noted present at 4.15 p.m. was in here twice in the version that I saw, so I suggested striking the second reference. Um, Not substantive. Something on public comment. One second. I had uh, under public comment item seven that uh, Anne Trevoe, Peter Warfield, and Mark Sullivan uh, spoke, um, but the Draft minutes only shows the written public comments from uh, Mr. Trebeau and Mr. Sullivan. I still believe that the minutes should also have a brief summary of their oral statement. And then, in addition, any written statement that they provided, if it um, comports with the ordinance. So I had Brian Trebeau stated that all public meetings uh, should be recorded and that Arts Commission meeting recordings um, are not posted on sfgov.org. She also provided the following written public comment, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then for Mark Sullivan, I did not have notes as to what um, he stated. Um, so we would need to pull that from the uh, audio and just have, you know, a few words summarizing his um, public comments. Uh, I think I changed Chris to Christopher. Bochamp at the police department and the rest of it was pretty straightforward. And in the last uh, paragraph on page 12 for item 17, I rewrote that to, I think, better summarize uh, the items that I brought up. So it would now read, um, Member Pilfell brought up three future discussion items. First, there is an initiative statute proposing to amend the California Public Records Act. Second, the controller's office recently issued a nonprofit capacity building and monitoring program report. Third, there was a recent Court of Appeals opinion in Bon Graham versus Alameda County Superior Court, comma, regarding police investigations and redactions, period. Um, that those are the substantive edits. The rest are really all about commas with okay with Thank those you. edits and let's double check me sure if anyone else has any other edits anyone else 
Anderson. Member Anderson. Um, in reading this, if this is not the final, final with his edits from before, isn't it Bond, Bond Graham versus Alameda County? Because right now it's Bond versus Graham is what I'm reading online on mine. Yeah. Number three, there was a court case, Bond versus Graham. Isn't yeah. it Bond Graham? That's that's what I was substituting an entire paragraph for oh, that okay. to rewrite it. Okay. But yes, good catch. Okay. Anyone else with edits? Okay. Uh, do we have a motion? I, I so move with those with the edits that we've all discussed. Okay. So moved by Member Pilpel to approve the minutes with the uh, edits discussed. Do we have a second? Second. Seconded by Member Anderson. Uh, let's go to public comment on that item. We currently have two callers in the queue. If you would like to speak on this item and you have not yet raised your hand, please press star three or raise your hand in the app. Going to the first caller. Hello caller, you've been unmuted. Okay, let me know when to start. Uh, you say I'm unmuted and I'd appreciate a 30 second warning. I did not hear the Peter? last time, I didn't hear a sound. You ready, Peter? Yes. Mr. Warfield, all right, go ahead. This is Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544. These minutes in one aspect are somewhat improved uh, in respect to our comments because they show that at least it says what the contact information is in the first instance and subsequently at least references that we gave what it says is contact information although it doesn't say where it is or what it is i still would like the full contact information given that i give nowadays every time i never used to before covid but have been doing that for a number of reasons including one that i mentioned and i think it's important and would appreciate having that included. Second point, I am glad to hear uh, Member Pilpel expanding, it seems, uh, the detail, I think that as informative minutes as you can possibly provide are valuable and important, and especially from the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force, which presumably would set an example for uh, everyone as to what's good. Our comments in general are uh, rather compact and I would say incomplete as to any details. So for example, uh, in number seven, I believe I said I didn't see what the status was with pending complaints. I asked how is uh, that supposed to be figured out by people or what is the status of our pending complaints and basically as I recall got no answer that was a little disappointing uh, but uh, that's what happened with respect to uh, member Pilpel also mentioning that people should get from the task force a summary of what they said I believe that's the law 
And I don't think that the task force should exclude providing its own summary of what somebody said. Thank you. I don't think that the task force should should exclude providing a summary of what somebody said simply because they provided their own summary. I think, in fact, that suggests that it rather would not want to do its duty and would encourage people or maybe discourage them from from relying on the task force and having more work to do in order to summarize their own comment and have to submit it to get it in. Thank you very much. Okay, can we have our next public commenter? Yes. Hello, caller, you've been unmuted. Okay, are you ready? Hello? Oh. Hello? Cheryl? Are you ready to begin speaking? I am. Go ahead. My name is Ann Trebeau. I am taking issue with the general public comment that I made uh, that uh, you are about to vote on. Firstly, I submitted a um, written 150-word summary prior to the meeting, and in the subject line it said general public comment. That was uh, submitted in advance of the meeting. I read uh, directly from the public comment into the minutes, and then I submitted it afterwards. Cheryl Leger made four separate mistakes in the uh, public comment, and the last one is the one before you today. So I am going to read exactly what I said, and you can match it with the audio of what I said in the general public comment. Section 6414C of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force says that every public meeting held in City Hall shall be audio or video recorded. They are public records, Public Record Act 6250, and the city shall post them on www.sfgov.org. The San Francisco Arts Commission has posted all of its full commission meetings on the Internet Archive and not on www.sfgov.org. The San Francisco Arts Commission was created in 1932. That is over 92 years of monthly meetings or 1,102 violations of the Sunshine Task Force. Andrew Bell, I request once again, that you put exactly what I said in its written form corrected in the minutes that you're about to vote on. It's taken me an enormous amount of phone calls, an enormous amount of emails, and what you have with those links are not what I included in my public comment. It would not have been included because the addition of those links puts it well over 150 words. And if you pair it with the audio, there's no links to what I said. So I would highly appreciate it. 30 if seconds. You finally, if you finally correct and include my written public comment exactly as I have said it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Bowe. Do we have any other public commenters? We do not. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment. Um, uh, Member Popel, I will 
further tweak the minutes to try to better capture uh, Mr. Bo's comments and to try to address Mr. Warfield's comments. Thank you. For um, I, if if you're making changes, that needs to be verbalized. I think I, I, I would not. In, in, I would not vote on. In it. substance, it's to eliminate this long string. Right. So I think it's easy. Yeah. Um, I, I can. We, I think we could tell Cheryl now because I'm looking at Mr. Bo. She included me on some emails and asked yeah. for a comment. Um, I don't know how this very very lengthy URL got included, but and that might be something that the email system is doing, but. What she submitted simply was www.sfgov.org, not this URL that avanan.click slash let me. So if we can just make that say www.sfgov.org in both instances, is that a? No, it's not hard. I'm just saying that as she submitted her public comment, that was the form that it was submitted in. Right, I'm, I'm looking at it too, and I don't. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if it might be your Outlook that's converting those links into lengthy URLs. But what I'm seeing that she submitted because she cc'd me on what she sent to you, and my email comes up simply as www.sfgov.org, not this for long for line long URL. So I think we that, just make that change. That's what I got. I spelled out San Francisco Arts Commission. In a couple of instances, and I think the rest is fine. Okay, Sorry. so I would include that. Pardon me, Member Hill has joined the meeting. Oh, great. Thank you, um, Mr. Chair. Uh, Member yes, Wolf. Member Wolf, go ahead. I just, I just want um, so for everybody's edification, uh, when you say Outlook, you mean the uh, email application, correct? Not somebody's personal Outlook on things. Right, right. I meant perhaps Cheryl's or the, the city's use of Outlook, MS Outlook, might be distorting the links somehow. Right. Yeah. yeah, the technology. Yes. Okay. Well, I also want to put it on the record that when Ann sent the email to um, <clears throat> uh, Legislative Director Samara, she got the same thing I did. Right. That's why my concern might be that it's your city's email system that's somehow. I'm not Storing link, anything. right? Because it seems that everyone in the city who's getting it yeah. is seen that we way. We got it. We'll fix it. Yeah. So I think we're we're good. I I, I have it here. I think that fix will address her concerns and okay. clean it up. Um, and then I have five twenty eight for Member Hill. Member Hill, did you get a DHR letter? I did. You did. Okay. Great. Yes. So we have Member Hill remotely attending at five twenty eight. Okay, uh, anything else on what time was number present? 528 p.m. Okay, anything else on the meeting minutes? Are we ready to, to go ahead and vote on that? Not seen any hands. Okay, let's go ahead and take our vote on that. I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Let's go ahead and take the vote on that. Who moved for the um, edits on the on the uh, public? This was my motion, and uh, Member Anderson seconded. Thank you. Member Pilpel. <clears throat> aye. Member Pilpel, aye. Member Anderson, aye. Member Anderson, uh, aye. Member Kumar, aye. 
Member Kumar, aye. Member Sugarman, aye. Member Sugarman, aye. Member Wolf, aye. Member Wolf, aye. Member Hill, aye. Member Hill, aye. Member Highland, absent. Member Schmidt, aye. Member Schmidt, aye. Member LaHood, absent. Vice Chair Stein, aye. Vice Chair Stein, aye. Chair Yankee, aye. Chair Yankee, aye. One, two, three. Nine in favor, two absent. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. I think we'll move on to item number four. Item number four approval of the orders of determination. File number 22115, Mark Sullivan against Bruce Wolf. File number 22116, Mark Sullivan against Bruce Wolf. File number 22034, Giselle Robbie and Carl Kramer against Crispin Hollings and the Sheriff's Department. File number 22047, Giselle Robbie and Carl Kramer against Ralph Remington and the Arts Commission. Okay. Um, anyone have any edits for the orders of termination? Member Pilsall? Um, a lot of formatting, not substantive. Can you kind of give us a, a summary of that? Um, I'm trying to deal with the indents and outdents and commas and trying to spell out task force so that it makes less reference or no reference to SOTF and is more clear that it's the task force. Um, spelling out section in a couple of instances where it has numbers, but not the word section. Um, there was at least one instance that referred to the administrator code and not administrative code. Um, and I stuck in sunshine ordinance in one place where it wasn't there. I think the, uh, the most substantive arguably was, uh, if, if it's taken, um, on 22034, the action at the complaint committee with the recommendation that there is no violation rather than the recommendation that there be a finding of no violation. I don't think we make findings of no violation. We make recommendations from committee that there is a, a, a whatever. It's just, where's where this one style? Page uh, six on the, the bottom, 22034, the, the action graph from the complaint committee. Let's see, it says. Okay. You're recommending that that be changed from to to read at the end with the recommendation that there is no violation. Period. I I don't care that much. Um, and for that one, I added Allison Lambert as the sheriff's department responded by name on the CC. The rest is um, entirely straightforward and. Unless there are other edits, yeah, I, I have some. Um, oh, sure. well, just one um, would be that that letterhead's missing on all of them, so we could put that on letterhead. We typically do see this on Sorry, can you... letterhead. We typically see this appear on letterhead, um, so I... that the SOTF letterhead is is missing. I, I had that. I forgot. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Do we have? A motion to approve it, the minor edits. I will so move. Okay, Sorry, I will so moved by Member Pelpel to approve with the edits that he specified. Do we have any seconders on that? 
Second. Okay, seconded by member Anderson. Uh, let's go ahead and open that up to public comment. There is one caller in the queue. Okay. Go ahead, Mr. Bell. Uh, not yet. Oh, I, I didn't have my hand up. I'm sorry, Cheryl. I, uh, okay. Shall I lower your hand? Oh, no, I'll say something. The agenda is written at least wants to believe that these cases uh, resulted in orders of determination. Maybe you could change the heading because uh, I went through every one and no orders issued. That's it. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Okay, Pat, do we have any other public commenters? There are no other callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment. Um, do we have any other comments from the members? If not, let's go move to a vote on that. Member Pilpel. Aye. Member Pilpel, aye. Member Anderson. Aye. Member Anderson, aye. Member Kumar. Aye. Member Kumar, aye. Member Sugarman. Aye. Member Sugarman, aye. Member Wolf, aye. Member Wolf, aye. Member Hill, aye. Member Hill, aye. Member Highland, absent. Member Schmidt, aye. Member Schmidt, aye. Member LaHood, absent. Vice Chair Stein, aye. Vice Chair Stein, aye. Chair Yankee, aye. Chair Yankee, aye. One, two, three, six. Nine in favor, two absent. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to item number five. Item number five, public comment. Members of the public may address the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force on matters that are within the task force jurisdiction, but not on today's agenda. There are no members. Oh, one moment, please. We have two callers in the queue. Okay, uh, Cheryl, when you're ready, please let the first caller know when they can begin. Mr. Warfield, you've been unmuted. Please hold. Mr. Warfield, are you ready to begin? Yes, I am. Just let me know, please. Go ahead. Thank you. This is Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association. Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544. The Sunshine Task Force is pretty much the only way that folks who are denied their rights can go with a presumably low to no cost and uh, simple relatively way rather than going through lawyers and courts to get their rights under open government law, state and city. When the Sunshine Task Force is weak in its enforcement, it's very, very negative for the people involved, especially if they're uh, being denied their rights. Unfortunately, uh, I'm sorry to say that the task force has been 
remiss in a lot of ways, and it makes things more and more of a headwind, really an encouragement for further and more flagrant violations. When we filed a complaint about the library refusing to provide contact information for the library commissioners, you voted unanimously to find a violation, uh, particularly in light of a court case in San Jose. The library responded with basically flouting the law and saying, we're, we don't care what you said, we're not doing it. So the order of determination not only lacked a, uh, a demand or a command uh, that the library turn over the email addresses of the commissioners, which they said they were using, every one of them, as their way of doing business on the commission. There was no follow-up to the library's uh, refusal except to go and get a letter from the Board of Supervisors and so on and so forth about future changes to procedures. The one thing that the law said was required if they didn't obey what you said to do in five seconds. days, the one thing that was required, which is a referral to the Attorney General or District Attorney, simply did not happen. Why not? Very, very weak. And I also have gotten on two days' notice that there would be a hearing uh, next week and that I have two days' notice to provide material. This is an 11-month-old complaint that was last heard six months ago, and I got two days only to prepare for agenda material submissions. Very weak uh, and very, uh, well, disadvantaged. Peter, your time is Thank up. you very okay. much. Mr. Warfield, please don't mute him. Cheryl, why did you send Mr. Warfield a notice for a meeting next week where he does not have an item on the agenda? When I first sent out the notice, I had sent you an agenda, and we were running out of time. Yeah, I, I, we sent notices of appearance over a week ago on the agenda I sent you. I had removed that file because we didn't have room for it. I never indicated that that file be included on that agenda. Were there any other notice? Mr. Warfield, you do not have a file coming up next week. That was an error on our administrator's part. You're, uh, can, can you hear me? Yes. You're saying we don't have an item on next week's agenda? You do not have an item, no. That was an erroneous uh, email that um, Ms. Leger sent to you. Well, I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that because it was alarming when I got it. I called Ms. Leger and had discussions about what to do and so on and so forth, and she even agreed to give me a little bit of a, an extension until Thursday at uh, 11 or 11.30. And I was trying to figure out what I should do about that or whether I should request uh, an extension and so on and so forth. I'm certainly disappointed that there is nothing happening on follow-up. It means that it's going to be a year before it actually gets heard. But uh, I don't understand how that happened because it seemed very clear to her that, you know, there was definitely something on the agenda when we discussed it. And I've been trying to figure out how to arrange things, especially with, you know, upcoming Things coming up that that made it even harder to comply with the uh, with the uh, deadline. So, yeah, so I, I, I think it needs to be figured out what happened. 
Yes, in fact, after this item, I take a recess just so we can clarify this with Ms. Leger and make sure that no one else was erroneously informed of a pending file. Um, so thank you for bringing that to well, our can, can we hear that in public? I think it's important for the members of the public to understand what's it's, going uh, on. Member, member, uh, Mr. Warfield, it's not an agenda item, so this is not something that we can discuss in a meeting right now that would violate the Sunshine Ordinance in and of itself. Okay. Uh, All right. In any case, on. not on the agenda for next week. That's correct. For, our, yes. for any case. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for letting us know. We appreciate that. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to the next caller. One moment, please. Ms. Trebell, you've been unmuted. Okay. You ready? Cheryl? Hello? One moment, please. Yes. Are you ready, Ms. Trebell? I am. Go ahead. Member of the task force, I, I want to talk about, um, in general, your meetings. You have them remotely and you uh, have them in person. When uh, documents, for whatever reason, don't get into the packet, and uh, there's this hearing, um, that makes it difficult for members of the public to uh, respond under public comment because they don't have the full packet. That's a violation of the Sunshine Task Force or the Sunshine Ordinance. And it's also very distressing to the complainant. So, uh, that would be me in an upcoming uh, case to be heard next week. I uh, listened to the audio of the case again, and it seemed to me that you were not going to rehear the case. Now that I have the documents and I've filed a response, hopefully mine will get into the packet, I would ask that uh, you allow me more than a few minutes to present my case on that matter. It was very distressing to me because in uh, Florence, Italy, I don't have direct access to the internet. When uh, Cheryl was sending me these last minute filings, I had to drive 40 miles to get internet access and then she was sending me the wrong documents. It was extremely stressful. So I'm asking that you keep that in mind for uh, next week's hearing. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Do we have any other public commenters? We have one more caller. Okay, thank you. Go ahead and share when you're ready. Does the caller know when they can begin? Um, caller, can I have your name, please? I think you've unmuted me again. Apologies. Uh, caller, are you ready to speak? One moment, please. The hand's been lowered. Let me double check, please. You lowered. Okay. Hello. Sullivan, let me know when to go. Go ahead, sir. In the CPRA, the word agency definition is like records or writing. It covers a lot of ground with state officials included. Local officials questionable. You would also need to look at 
definition of elected and appointed officials and its use. Agency includes city and county government. In state law, cities are just like many state agencies. So it's just a matter of what purpose in drawing the line as to this city official is not in this department when they are part of the city and county agency. The agency definition is not all in one place, but spread throughout the CPRA. If you ask your council how is agency defined in the CPRA and whether it includes what individuals, I'm sure he would say he would have to get back to you on that. A record request description describes an identifiable record comes from the CPRA Article 4, duty to assist in formulating a request, 7922.60A, and I can't read it all. In order to assist the members of the public to make a focused and effective request that reasonably describes an identifiable record or records, shall do all the following. One, assist the members of the public to identify records and information that are responsive to the request or to the purpose of the request if stated. Reasonably, identify, reasonably identifiable is under the requirement for an official to assist a public record request to be successful. Unfortunately, the Sunshine Ordinance doesn't have as good of language as assist to make a focused and effective request. Public access laws are legal government customer service requirements. This is probably why the city attorney's distillation of them is what they call the good government guide. It is up to government officials to cite an exemption, timeliness, or that a meeting was held appropriately. The legal requirements is not for a member of the public or a petitioner to prove. Thank you for your time. And I'll send you 150 words. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Do we have any other public commenters? There are no other public commenters in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment on this item. Um, since there seems to be some administrative errors with the notice, I'm going to call for a 10 minute recess, or we'll call it 11 minute recess. We'll pick back up at six o'clock. So if we can go ahead and mute the mic, Cheryl.
Chair Yankee calling a recess to find out why Mr. Warfield's case was agendized and he asked that it be removed. Cheryl.
Uh, Ms. Peterson, we are ready to reconvene our hearing. All right. We have 6 p.m. Okay, and the recording has started again, Cheryl? Yes. Okay, and just double checking if our, just to make sure our two remote members are there, member Hill and member Wolf, can you confirm that you're back online with us? Member Wolf. Okay, perfect. So we have all nine of us here, it looks like. Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to item number six. Item number six, hearing San Francisco generative AI guidelines, review and discuss any sunshine implications related to the San Francisco generative AI guidelines developed by the city administrator's office. Okay, this item was requested to be put on, I believe our last meeting's agenda and we didn't get to it because it was getting to be late at night. So we went ahead and continued it to this meeting. Um, this was initially submitted by member Pilpel, so I will turn it over to him to present on this item. Great, thank you. Um, and as opposed to my usual uh, lengthy verbiage, I will try to be brief. Um, so this came up at, I think, the December meeting of the Committee on Information Technology, or COIT, which uh, member Wolf and I have both um, followed off and on uh, over the years. Um, I thought this was of interest. Uh, AI is certainly uh, a hot topic these days, and this was the first um, iteration, if you will, of uh, internal city guidelines for how city employees should deal with this uh, technology. I do not expect that these guidelines will stay in place for long. I think this was just sort of interim guidance for you know the next period of time as they figure out what it all means. Um, I thought that there are uh, a number of potential implications related to um, both records and meetings. Um, I guess my part of my fear here is that um, the ability of machines to aggregate massive amounts of uh, data and documents could be used for fantastic, great things and could also be used for not so great things. And I was concerned about the not so great things um, that if there are inconsistencies or vulnerabilities of city systems or facilities or whatnot uh, that could be discovered by this use, that that might be problematic. So just as one specific, it seemed to me that um, city departments that use next request um, to both uh, take in public records requests and respond to those requests with responsive records um, might, for example, put a uh, time limit on access to those records. So you make a request, you look for a response. If you don't grab that response within seven days or 31 days or some reasonable period of time that it disappears, you could contact the department and say, hey, I never got those records and they could make them available again, but that records would not uh, remain on next request uh, indefinitely um, because it seems to me like that in and of itself could be, not necessarily, but could be uh, problematic. Um, there are lots of other examples and directions this could go in 
Um, I really just wanted to bring this to the task force for a little discussion, see what other members um, think. I didn't have any specific action in mind, um, but I just saw this and thought of us and thought this is the kind of thing that we should be um, aware of and talking about. So um, that's my introduction or presentation and open to others. Thanks. Thank you, Member, Papel, uh, Member Kumar. Yeah, I have a couple of comments on this. So um, I'm very glad this has been, this is on the agenda. Um, and I, while I support the, like, I do support that we should advance technologically. I had some concerns about this particular item. Uh, the first is um, on page number three, uh, the third guideline for exploring uh, with generative AI. It says never enter sensitive information into public generative AI tools. So um, over here, there's no specification about what sensitive information pertains to. Um, we are not giving any guidelines on what and the thing is that it it's um, we are humans, and there are there are a lot of possibilities of the sunshine ordinance getting flouted if sen sensitive information is given into this this chat GPT kind of tools, for example, names, uh, records, um, and if a, a user wants a particular record from us, uh, that's where we come in. But um, we are sort of I saw sort of see like a possibility of people taking advantage of these tools to make sure that this, this, this SOTF task force is not able to do their job. Um, that's one of the things that I felt. Um, another area I felt was um, the U guidelines using generative AI. Um, it said we can create first drafts of documents. So if there are possibilities of um, departments using ChatGPT to create first drafts of documents and then um, generative AI, we are assuming that everybody will be onboarded and we will be able to use generative AI. There are departments that still don't use, like are not that tech savvy. Um, if you're creating first documents on ChatGPT and then we, then we are creating first documents elsewhere, there is a possibility things can be lost in translation and um, lead to more issues with um, like more flouting of the sunshine law. So, um, yeah, this is on a lot of the language in this particular uh, like document just makes me feel like there. A lot of things are being assumed um, it's under it's under a layer. Um, I don't know what's under the layers. I haven't peeled the onion yet, so I have no idea, but I need to know exactly what we mean by translating texts or saying creating first drafts so or what documents, what plans, what memos, uh, repetitive coding and testing tasks. Uh, what do we mean by that? Which departments will be using it? Um, who is testing what task? Um, are we using those at the back end of, um, or, uh, of the departments? Um, are, will those be used to change documents or um, create administrative issues? Uh, explanatory images can mean a lot of things. Uh, so I just feel that a lot of things here are lost in translation and um, things have to be more in detail for um, us to take a decision on whether this should be even used in the government right now. Thank you, Member Kumar. Do we have any other members? Member Wolf. Member Wolf, then uh, Vice Chair Stein. So um, I've been, uh, so <laughs> having generative AI to take the place of any party responsibility um, in either creating a 
uh, a complaint and uh, evidence or uh, information related to a complaint or a custodian's responsibility uh, under the ordinance to respond personally is a concern of mine. Um, I, I've worked with AI since it's started the whole idea and continually studying the accuracy of AI. It, it must not replace a live human response with regards to sunshine and the responsibilities uh, under that. Uh, it, it then cannot become, it also then can't become an excuse or a defense that a party may or may not know uh, the information that's contained in it um, and then just say because the machine created it. I think that would lead to some serious issues. Um, it, it leads to the same kinds of issues that we have when a representative that is not knowledgeable about a complaint is uh, 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 attends. Um, you can't really have a, a balanced uh, uh, approach to the um, to the complaint to hearing the, to the hearing. So, in the same light, uh, for the petitioner and the complainant, it, it, AI could create information that they may rely on. Um, but similar to what I just said about maybe custodians. If, it, if they don't review it, then they may not be able to answer the questions related to the complaint that we might have for them. Or uh, what you know, they may present something in their own words here, but then the information that they submitted in writing may have a completely different meanings. And if not reviewed, it just creates a lot of confusion. So I would say that for our purposes, that AI should be prohibited. Um, you know, except if they're using it maybe as work product to create a some sort of result, but the result has to be um, uh, managed by human, a live human. And I'll stop there. I'm kind of spitballing it a little bit, but hopefully you get my 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 gist. Thank you, Member Wolf. Uh, Vice Chair Stein. Yeah, um, I just want to say um, thanks to Member Pilpal for including this because it was interesting reading and I feel like it is something that we should know about, although I don't want to spend too long discussing it because it's just we're at such a nascent period. I actually thought these guidelines were much better than I was expecting <laughs> uh, when I read it, um, but my biggest question was, you know, how would San Francisco ensure transparency and accountability with respect to, you know, data used or content generated by AI? Um, and that, like, one thing I could think we could think about down the road is maybe there needs to be language in any contract that they have with any tech company that says, you know, that ensures that the processes and the data sets are transparent and examinable by the public, right? I don't know that would ever happen with a private company that might consider what they're doing with AI somewhat proprietary, but it seems like that might be something that we could consider down the road. But I think it's kind of too nascent now, and but in general, um, I thought they were pretty good on the guidelines and even this idea that, um, you know, somebody might use it to generate a 1st document. They seem pretty clear, like, you're still responsible for whatever you put out there and you need to review it and you need to. You know, take accountability for it. So I'm not as worried about things like responses being generated by AI. For, for our, for our, um. 
task force, at least, you know, until I see it. Thank you. Anyone else on this topic? Um, maybe just to wrap up, if there's um, nothing else right now, um, I appreciate the um, comments. I wasn't planning to, you know, monitor this day, day by day. Um, I'm happy to put either um, uh, Member Wolf or uh, Member Kumar in touch with the city administrator's office. Um, people on this um, unless they're attending the meeting tonight. Um, I just thought this was the kind of thing that we should flag. And um, uh, although I often write letters, uh, it didn't seem like this one needed a letter as much as maybe just advising them uh, in the future when there are discussions about this to maybe loop us in somehow. Um, it just seems like there are privacy and record keeping and issues that might be of, of concern to this task force. So, um, and, and yeah, like maybe just having, um, member Wolf or member Kumar as sort of the, the point person following this, uh, more closely, uh, would be fine at, at this point. I, I do suspect that this will evolve several times and quickly. Mr. Chair. Yep, go ahead, Member Wolf. Yeah, I would also, uh, if he's interested, uh, he'll also include Member Hill, who has a uh, technology background also. Uh, and just to uh, quickly add, you know, one of the big things around AI, you know, it started out as being like, for instance, the open, the first one, open, uh, the open AI uh, chat GPT started out as being version 3 point whatever is now at version four, and there's a number of other versions that are out there because the accuracy, you know, changes. Uh, and the original free version now is not to be relied on. Uh, so I think accuracy with regards to AI uh, also needs to be included uh, among uh, the other uh, suggestions and comments that were made. Thank you, Member Wolf. Are we ready for public comment on this item? All right, looks like it's. Let's go ahead and open this up to public comment. There's one caller in the queue. Caller, can you please identify yourself? Uh, I don't think that's an appropriate question since people can speak anonymously if they wish. I will identify myself when I'm making public comment. If I wish. Eight minutes. Hey, sure. When you're ready, please let the caller know when they can begin. Are you ready to begin, caller? Yes, just let me know when. Go ahead. This is Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association. I choose to identify myself, but not everybody might want to, and that's their right. So I think it's inappropriate to ask people to identify themselves, especially if it's not clear that that's optional and they have a right to not identify themselves. So this is Peter Warfield, head of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544. I'm very happy that you're discussing this 
and what the city is doing about this. We have heard from, the, we have heard that top people from ChatGPT and elsewhere have been meeting with top people in our government, including the president, and have been saying things like this technology could be the end of democracy and even of human life on this earth. And I don't think that it's responsible to use a technology which, as Member Wolf has said, is constantly changing. And even the people in charge don't seem to really fully understand how it works or what it, can, what it might do. Certainly, they are aware of potential very serious problems. Um, with respect to next request, I consider it completely unacceptable for a variety of reasons, including the disappearance of the material. When I request something and I expect to get a copy or get the item, I don't expect it to disappear as with next request. That's one of the things that I think is, is overdue for a discussion. Um, one of the things that I don't see very often, and since I was worrying about the other issue that you heard me discuss, getting ready for a hearing on two days' notice, getting ready to submit material, I have not had a chance to uh, review this. But I certainly agree with Member Kumar uh, and, and some of the others who are sharply concerned about using AI at all. I'm concerned with using anything like Google Docs, for example, which I've seen being used. And that's because you are providing me and anybody else who in any way participates or even looks at it, you are providing for the predatory folks and all the reasons that they are using. They're getting raw material for their real business, which is surveillance economy. And so to feed them the users of your own group and the public on top of it, I think is extremely bad. And these folks are oligopolies or monopolies. They are constantly violating laws uh, of all sorts, including privacy laws and whatnot. And I think it's very problematic Mr. to Warfield, go outside with what you're Thank using you, as a Warfield. tool. Thank you. Okay. There are no, there are no other callers in the queue. Thank you very much. Okay, I think we're done on this topic and ready to move on to the next one. More in the future, no action today. No action, yeah, this is discussion only. Item number seven, hearing ethics commission referrals, review and discuss the process for the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force to make referrals to the ethics commission. Okay, so members, I put this item on the agenda since from time to time we talk about what actions we can take for enforcement and specifically with the referrals we make to the Ethics Commission. Um, and broadly speaking, there's there's two types of referrals we can make. We can make uh, referrals under 6734 when we say that we believe a department head or elected official has um, committed a willful violation. Uh, but then there's the more general non-willful violation uh, referrals that we can make for enforcement. Um, so I included a few documents that the Ethics Commission has prepared over the years. The first document is their current enforcement regulations. And specifically, if you scroll to, I think it's uh, 10, but let me double check here. I had it up. 
Yeah, uh, section number 10, PDF page 18. Um, that kind of lays out the process that the Ethics Commission will use if we make referrals for uh, enforcement to them. Um, then there was apparently some, some history on this, so I dug up a memo that the, looks like the then director of the Ethics Commission helped prepare to the members of the Ethics Commission. This was back on, um, in December 11th, 2014, and it talked about some uh, particular questions that they wanted the Ethics Commission to consider as far as task force referrals. That went to, into a meeting, which I also included the meeting minutes on at the bottom. And there were some votes taken at the December 16th, 2014 meeting of the Ethics Commission. And they voted on specific policy recommendations that were outlined in the memo and how the Ethics Commission were, was going to handle those. Um, so I didn't know if anyone wanted to discuss this further. Um, at a minimum, I thought it would be helpful to kind of put all this information in one spot so that when we do have those conversations about what are our next steps, we know what the Ethics Commission may or may not do with what we send to them. So I'll stop there if anyone had any comments, questions, or thoughts. And if not, we can open public uh, comment and move on. Member Wolf. Oh, go ahead, Member Wolf. Yeah, I just want to say that um, Member LaHood and I um, uh, took the lead on uh, making contact with the Ethics Commission at that time because things are even more confusing <laughs> at that period of time. Member uh, Fast, you guys just asked, I don't think Member LaHood was here in 2014 on the, on the task force. Uh, Maybe it was someone else. Well, I know that she and I had met with them on this issue that led to their making um uh you know uh, creating this kind of uh process um uh, she and i met with uh, then executive director uh leanne pelham this was before leanne pelham right this was back in 2014. Um, okay. the, uh, the memo from the there's also a memo from the task force it came from Allison Washburn and Lee Hepner. So this would have been before. Um, group. Okay. You, you may have been on the task force at the time, but I don't think Member LaHood was, and I don't think Leanne Pelham was the director at the time. Well, I, I know that I had met with, with them, and I thought that I seem to remember Member LaHood and I had met with the investigative, investigative department. Um, at one point, so I don't know. I'll, I'll have to confer with her to see what, because that would would have been the last contact we had with them on this issue. Yeah, that would be helpful if you have any potentially more updated, uh, you know, documentation perhaps that they had that came out of those more recent conversations. But okay. the more you know, aside from the enforcement regulations, it looks like the the. Most recent communications I can find between the ethics commission and the task force were way back in 2014. Okay. I'll have to follow up on that. Okay. Um, Vice Chair Stein. Um, I thought uh, this was interesting to look at and I was wondering how it might impact, um, the letter that we were planning to write around the, um, 
Chief what is Scott. His name? The... <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, we had a referral for Chief Scott, yeah, and that's kind of how I came about. Okay. Yeah, because I was getting ready to write it, and, and I so wanted I, to... it, In light of that, I was kind. Of, I found it interesting, um, you know, that they had a couple issues with the way that we had done things in the past, including, you know, whether what we were asking for or whether our our enforcement letter, um, you know, matched what we voted in our task force meeting and also kind of interestingly they took this position that an authorized representative is not necessarily a knowledgeable <laughs> representative which was uh, a new one to me um but i'm wondering if you have particular concerns or issues you want us to like focus on that would affect your letter mm -hmm. um that that's my question yeah i'll get um i'll talk about that because that's kind of why i put that on here uh member pilpa if you want to go first though Sure. Um, I think it is fair to say over the fullness of time that there have been various people on the ethics commission, ethics commission staff, members of this task force that have engaged in various discussions and there have been documents and procedures um, updated from time to time, hearings held, uh, et cetera. So, there's there's sort of a large body of of discussion between uh, the two agencies. Um, in my view, the language in the ordinance is not the most precise on uh, the in general on issues of enforcement and in particular on how matters are handled by the ethics commission, whether it's on their own or from us. And you know, there's there's a lot of trying to interpret. Um, language. Um, meanwhile, the ethics commission last week um, hired a new executive director. It wouldn't be a bad idea, in my view, for Chair Yankee to um, offer to meet with um, uh, Pat Ford, the the new director, um, and you know just review the relationship between uh, the bodies. Uh, determine if this is, in fact, the current and most recent um, set of procedures and, and guidelines on handling. I mean, there was a lot of discussion, for example, on when the task force sent an order for either enforcement or for a willful violation, whether the presumption was that the facts alleged by the underlying complainant or um, included in the task force referral were presumed to to be accurate and how that shifted burdens and all anyway it it all gets very complicated i just think having an updated conversation uh would be useful um and if we talk about this uh another time maybe pulling examples of past referrals some of which had more and better explanation and justification, some of which, in my view, were thinner and weaker and not as helpful. Um, I am, in, in general, of the view that under the ordinance, A, we have, and B, we should have the power to refer matters, but that we should use it sparingly, and we should use it for things that really are weighty and where we can say, based on the record, and by the way, here are exhibits A, B, and C on the record, and based on the testimony, and by the way, we're pointing to D, E, and F on the record, we believe that blah, 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 and here's why, and therefore, 
you know, and wrap it up with a bow. But I'm not the only one on this. So I, I would just encourage that kind of uh, dialogue. I, I think it does not help anybody, frankly, complainants, respondents, the city, all of us, the staff over there, the commission, et cetera, to just send something that we think that we have some view on, but doesn't have a lot of evidentiary support and or for which they have no meaningful remedy at the end. So it's like, well, yeah. So anyway, those are some things to think about, but I appreciate reminding me of this and all of that history back in the head. Thanks. Thank you, Member Pilpel. Okay, just a, a few things that I thought were, were interesting is that if you look at the enforcement um, regulations in general, they talk about the, having a show cause hearing and conducting it de novo, which basically means that they're going to start all over again at the beginning. Um, so I think, you know, to, to Member Pilpel's point, I think when we send things over to them, um, we need to do it with the, you know, with the thought that this starts a the process all over again for the um for the complainant potentially right and while you know i think what we can send over you know may be very persuasive um there's still nothing that forces the ethics commission to adopt our order determination and they could essentially you know find it that was it was erroneous and and come to an entirely different conclusion and that's what sticks um so i think it's beneficial for us that when we do things over to the ethics commission, that it's something that's uh, pretty persuasive, um, and only using you know, when we have, like you said, you know, a lot of evidence, um, a, a good packet to send over to them, um, which is, is another issue in in how we send that over to them. I mean, the the ethics commission um, has a compared to our staff, very large staff. I know citywide, it doesn't seem like a very large staff, but they have people who, you know, do investigations and write briefs or memos to the commission. Um, whereas when we send things over, um, the, 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 the clerk's office can kind of prepare a summary of what the past minutes said, what our past actions were, but it's kind of on us as members to write the commentary. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that for the one that we sent over, but um, that's something we might want to think about is how best on a more consistent basis do we, if we do referrals, do we kind of do it on a rotating basis? Do we select a member? Do we want things coming back? How, how What's the best process to write these since there really isn't paid staff on on our you know board? to do this where most commissions do get paid staff to write those things when the planning commission sees something now obviously staff's already looked at it and prepared it in a way that it packaged it up well for them so that's kind of put on us which kind of delays the process unfortunately since we're all volunteers and i'm sure have other pressing matters throughout the day um and then some of the things that it was interesting when they looked at some of the questions um that kind of had come up in the past um one of them was issue one it says was whether or not there was um, clear notice given to a respondent. Um, and so I was thinking of that, you know, as it relates to the referral that we just did. And so I think in that case, for instance, we did, even though the chief of police was not the initial named respondent, we did send a letter to the chief separately and asked him to become involved. Um, and then we passed a motion asking him to appear. And Sergeant Winters at the time conveyed to us that you know, she had had a discussion with the chief and that he had told her to be the representative. So that's 
essentially two instances in that one where um, I think it's important to point out when I'm writing this that the chief himself was familiar with that. And so then there was issue two um, instances where it may or may not be appropriate to name the department head as a respondent. So I think we've kind of talked about that before too. Um, when do we say the department heads responsible for the lack of a response, right? Well, if the department wasn't the initial named person, when does it escalate where we think it might be willful that the department had to become involved? Um, again, in the one that we just looked at, I think that we can demonstrate that we directly reached out to the department head and made that contact and asked Chief Scott to become involved. Um, but I think that's kind of important to think about as we look at other cases where we struggle to get responses with to make sure that we do proper noticing that we, we you know have voluminous communications with the city department so that we can you know kind of come with these issues in mind and be able to address them. And then um like Vice Chair Stein talked about was the authorized and knowledgeable. Um and so it looks like they said as long as the person is prepared to respond to the allegations containing the city attorney's memorandum. So this is an interesting one because this kind of goes back to the days when the city attorney prepared memorandums for us, which as we know I think was in 2019 or 2020 the city attorney stopped doing that. Um, so this is potentially one item where we need the ethics commission to take another look at what the uh, representative is since there's no longer memorandum that we can point to that says that respondent should be willing, you know, ready to respond to. Um, so it's kind of my thoughts on how this might apply to the one that's pending. I don't know if anyone else had input on that or things that they think that they saw that they want to make sure that I include when I write it up. Member Wolf. Go ahead, Member Wolf. So a couple of things. I um, we have had several meetings uh, with the investigative department uh, or unit, and the reason why is is as you noted, um, staff usually provides all the information to the uh, commissioners themselves. Commissioners don't really do that much uh, with regards to the you know, the leading up to uh, when a, um, a hearing or a case is, is coming before them. All the work is, is done by staff and presented by staff. So um, the question then becomes what is there, like we have certain formats that we're familiar with that, you know, makes it somewhat familiar and predictable for us to be able to, you know, understand what we're, how the, how the complaint is being laid out. We, you know, did some painstaking work on, on, you know, creating a better formats for ourselves. They have their own also templates uh, that don't necessarily fall in alignment with ours. So what we, what we may think is clear and logical is maybe perceived by them not in that way because they're looking for some other some other specific information that we don't may not even focus on so uh the point is is maybe it's a good time because the you know people have changed in that department now uh to maybe meet with them and say what do you expect when you receive a referral from us what needs to be on the page and uh, even though you see that in that old 
um, uh, a message from them, things that may, may have changed over time for them and the way they do their formatting and that kind of stuff. Um, the other point I wanted to make was um, what you were just talking about in, you know, naming the department at, and that, uh, did you want to interrupt me? No, no, go ahead, Member Wolf. Okay. Uh, it, the, um, the uh, uh, name, it, naming of the of a department head, uh, you know, ultimately they're responsible. Okay, and actually in the executive branch, it's the mayor who's actually responsible for all the departments that they have uh, uh, super uh, supervisory supervisorial management over or executive management over. But um, when there is the one way, there are two ways. One is um, how do we know when to bring them in is when there's evidence by testimony or by uh, discovery um, that the department head has made a directive uh, to their staff. Or uh, another way is uh, that we experience more often, which seems to be in the example that you brought forward, is that their staff is continually not complying um, with uh, with the ordinance, and we send a direct uh, uh, task force notification to the department head, notifying them, you know, uh, that this is happening, and request their help in in correcting that. And if then that is not happening after that, then that's when you, you know, the uh, department head uh, 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 focus comes becomes clear. And I'll stop there, thank you. Thank you, Member Wolf. Uh, Member Kumar? Yeah, um, I just had a comment where I, I agree with, uh, uh, with uh, Member Yankee about uh, the efficiency of this process. Uh, and as we, as you said that we are volunteers and, you know, um, there are so many, there's just so many things that we can do. Um, there was this one point about um, newly discovered evidence. And um, I feel that if you present, like, if the commission is again, sending it back to the ordinance task force for further deliberation, it just like, makes the process longer so if it's if there's one any way we can make that efficient so that it doesn't come back to us if it's some evidence that's really like incriminating or something very serious then that can be handled and not sent back to the task force if it's something um less serious then that can be handled by the task force i mean we have to i think there should be a time limit or something um in place to make sure that we make this process more efficient thank you yeah, agreed. And and I know you're you're new, and the one that we're talking about is one where the task force is heard at either the committee or the task force level. I think um, it's come, I forget, five maybe times in the last year, um, give or take one or two, perhaps. Um, not, not that it's bounced back and forth, but we've tried to, you know, have the party show up, try to get to the bottom of what it is. The issue comes up, and we hear it again. And so um, I think you know efficiency is 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 a big part of it, right? It's at what point. I think we need to decide is the task force no longer being successful in this and might the ethics commission be more successful also recognizing the fact that if we have send it over too soon they might send it just back to us again which may actually make it longer and, and defeat the purpose of sending it there in the first place so that's that's kind of the juggling act i think we have that makes this a, a kind of a challenging thing and i agree with everyone and i um, i'll take that advice and reach out particularly since we have um, a pending referral now i'll reach out to the new 
director over there and see, you know, what it is he's expecting from us, what level of detail, what format, that type of thing. Um, and then I, the other thing I think is important to point out, because um, this has come up from time to time, is what really is the definition of a willful violation? Does the Sunshine Ordinance says willful violation, and I think some of us um, may have come to different conclusions over time about what willful is. Does it mean repeated? Does it mean, you know, the smoking gun of where someone, you know, sends an email and says, I hate the Sunshine Ordinance, will never follow it, right? Or is it what type of, you know, circumstantial evidence, for lack of a better term, uh, proves a willful violation. So I thought it was interesting that um, on PDF page, it looks like 26 at the bottom, there's a footnote and it says, a willful violation is an action or failure to act with the knowledge that such act or failure to act was a violation of the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, I'm not sure how particularly clear that is or if that helps move it along at all. Um, but to me, that that I think made it that much more necessary that if we're going to consider willful violations that we have, and I think we did in this particular um, one, this case that we've been talking about, but just to keep in mind for future things is that we need to, I think, be very clear to, to communicate, not just to whoever it is that shows up here, but talk to the specifically the department head or the only ones who can be found in willful violation, if that's what we think the route that we may end up going and let them know that an act or failure to act is in fact a, a violation of the Sunshine Ordinance. And I think in this matter that we, you know, with the police commission, we, we kind of outlined that multiple times to the chief of police about, you know, more in this case, the failure to act, um, but something to keep in mind. We have something? Yeah. Oh, Member Anderson? Oh, go ahead. Just a question has uh, in the history of the uh, task force, have we um, as a task force made any kind of guidelines as to after 5 attempts to get information, then the letter automatically goes to the department head. And if there's no response after that, then maybe we send it to the ethics commission so that at least the complainant. And the respondents know that after so many times of coming without any real reasons for why the information isn't presented, that this is what's going to happen. So it's not a surprise when it happens. So I don't know if that's one of the things we've got in our policy, in our procedure. No, I don't think there's anything written that, that lays it out like after X amount of time, we send a letter and after this many more. Um, I think, you know, I would say, at least in my experience, I would say the vast majority of the time, um, the department's been, you know, pretty uh, helpful along the way. I mean, give or take how cooperative, but um, I, I, the police one that we've been hearing seems at least to me to be one that's kind of stood out more as an exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Um, particularly when we got a, a rotating set of custodians where I think we're on number three or four mm -hmm. of people we've heard from which kind of makes it disjointed and lacks the continuity that we see from a lot of our other hearings. Right. And, and yeah, that does make sense. But again, we're only going to be presenting things to the ethics committee because it's so outside the norm. Because the fact of the matter is that most departments do comply. They do submit the information or give us reasons why they haven't done it that are acceptable to all of us. So if we run into something where it's just blocking, blocking, blocking. It's like, okay, in those cases, then after five blocks or whatever number we decide, 
we say, okay, then the letter goes to the department head. And then we go to the ethics committee commission to, um, to look into the matter. Yeah. And there, and there's the 2 types of different referrals we can do in if on. On page 26, there's actually a really good little. Chart that are prepared that kind of outlines how each, you know, who can, you know. Who's involved in it, whether it's willful or not willful, what chapter the ethics commission will follow and whether or not it's official misconduct. And so we may even want it for ourselves, you know, oftentimes we refer over, it seems at least when I've been on the task force, when it gets to the willful stage, but it doesn't have to be willful. We can refer other things, I think, to your point that, you know, just finding that this is still not an enforcement, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to send letters to the department head and show that it's somehow a willful. We could just say, it's a, a non willful, but it's still non compliance and ask for the, you know, the ethics commission to step in. Right. I was yeah, member Anderson again, I was thinking in terms of if we want to keep our relationships with our departments that we would notify the department mm -hmm. head. This is what we're going to do. This, this is, we've come to this impasse and this is what we're going to do. So don't be surprised. So we put them on notice that something's going on. If they can fix it mm -hmm. before it has to be sent in within a reasonable amount of time. But I think um, if we want to help the people who have come to us for some assistance in in getting the records they want, then the complainant should have some idea of how long this is going to take, and and not and forever is not an answer. <laughs> As to how long this is going to take, it should be we're going to do this, we're going to do everything we can, we're going to do it within this reasonable amount of time, and then after that, we're going to take the next steps that we can take based on what we've got uh, as far as this ordinance is concerned and the things we can and cannot uh, enforce at this step. So, and maybe that's something a good discussion topic that I'm thinking about. Might be good for our compliance and amendments. <laughs> process we usually follow is it goes to the initial committee. They make a recommendation, moves on to the full task force. We rule on it if there's you know, subsequent action we want to see happen. Sometimes it's just, you know, we found a time this violation, but they got their records, they'll be late and, and we kind of end it. But if we think some subsequent, like more records need to be turned over, we'll ordinarily turn it back over to the compliance amendments committee to sort through and try to make sure that our order gets, that's, you know, followed through on. Um, so that might be a good place to kind of on that committee work on, hey, you know, if we're seeing non-compliance, what are the various steps we should take? We may refer it back to the task force. Should we give them, you know, two or three additional compliance hearings? Should we, you know, what would what, you kind of almost like a flow chart perhaps? Um, I think it'd be great if you want to be on compliance amendments and <laughs> share your at least share your ideas with them. I think that'd be a good good place for that to kind of yeah. you know come out of. Mr. Chair. Uh, Member Wolf and then Member Pilpel. Okay, a uh, couple of things. One is, if you read the way that that process was created, it's kind of bifurcated. So anything that is not sixty-seven thirty-four related does not go to the investigative unit. So it it goes straight. Whatever we submit goes straight to the commissioners. So. That means it has to be written in a way that the commissioners are going to be able to, you know, scan it essentially and understand it uh, in a similar way that they would receive um, communications from their staff. So uh, that there's a 
there is that bifurcation in this process uh, that we should be aware of. Uh, so, you know, getting it, if it were to be, if it was a 6734 um, referral, then the investigative unit would, as you, as you pointed out, would, would do it de novo. Um, and I think there could be some language that's in there that to kind of help direct them to start, like, here's, here's what happens, you know, and start here um, kind of thing. I mean, there may be some, some way we can uh, frame things. The other thing is, is I, I uh, was just going through some emails and I'm not sure if this got forwarded uh, to the task force or, or not. It, it, it should have been, I have to, um, dig a little deeper to see if I if I had uh, requested that, uh, but I did reach out to them in 2022 um, because we were having we were ha having the same kind of discussion back then. Uh, this was at in the beginning of the year around this time, and they did send back. Uh, it was Jeffrey Pierce who was head of the investigative unit there and he did send a response with with some uh suggestions um i've i forwarded this to um to cheryl so she can distribute it um amongst this um you know but basically uh you know they go through this whole show cause process um which is they really lean on that particular process uh, that reviews the facts and, and the laws at issue um, and seeks to determine whether the ordinance has been violated. So, um, uh, it, it doesn't go into too much detail, but it generally he says it, that they rely upon a statement of facts, a statement of relevant laws, an explanation of why the facts indicate that the laws were violated. Um, Basically, he says that uh, historically ODs uh, referred by the task force to the commission have not contained this sort of information. Uh, instead, the orders provide a brief statement of the vote taken uh, and a link to the minutes of the meeting, uh, but haven't directly addressed the conduct the task force found uh, uh, that would violate the ordinance or provide an explanation of why if the if there was a violation of the law. So um, that that's kind of the crux of of what they're looking for. Um, instead of just, you know, read read the read the minutes and, and hopefully you'll understand, you know, what's going on here and why. And uh, and on top of that, um, I think uh, if one of us were to go at the time of the hearing uh, to provide any additional information or specific information, I think that would be helpful too in support of it. I'll stop there. Thank you, Member Wolf. Before I turn it over to Member Pilpel, I just want to say, I think that's an excellent point. Um, and it gets back to what I said earlier on in that we don't have, you know, the, the staff at all. Um, to do things like, uh, you know, for instance, reading from this is the, the the commissioner reviews the facts and laws at issue and seeks to determine whether the sunshine ordinance has been violating violated. In reaching this determination, the commission seeks to understand why the SOTF found the sunshine ordinance was violated. 
The commission typically defers to the SOTF on what the facts of the case are, but it independently reviews the interpretation and application of the law and may reach a different, different conclusion, the SOTF, and then talks about how um, our ODs are, are mainly just the motion we took and a link to the minutes. Um, and that's really all that the clerk's office can do. They don't prepare um, ODs at this point that have additional uh, you know, commentary on it. So I think to that point, it's important that when we formulate our motions that we have as much in there as possible um, that explains, you know, why, for instance, if we're going to say there's a violation of 6721B, that we maybe add some more specificity when possible. And I, I recall, uh, Member Wolf, that we brought this back to the um, the task force at the time we talked to um, Leanne Pelham about it. And I think we kind of, you know, helped, and I, I think we've improved, you know, move into an area where our motions are a little bit more robust. And even then recognizing we'll probably still have to do um, Someone will have to do additional work to add in some of the details because the ODs themselves just aren't going to have that. Uh, the more we talk about this, the more things come back and it's almost like a dream, except it's not all so positive. Um, on balance, I think the current level of detail in RODs is fine. It's not huge and it doesn't have to be because most of those just you know either find no violation or if there's a violation they're directed and they do it and it's fine i think what we need is for the few instances and as i said earlier and i think there's general agreement that they should be they can't exist but they should be few and far between when we make a referral is the referral motion or the referral letter really needs uh more to it than just what's in the OD. It needs an explanation of how and why, and you know, that's that's the level of detail that I think is needed for a referral that's different from an OD. I think the bottom line here is um, I have no problem. I assume the task force has no problem leaving it to you to have that uh, conversation with whoever over at Ethics. If you need help, don't call me. Take Vice Chair Stein and. <laughs> go and do and if there's something further that this task force um, should do that's helpful in terms of policies or procedures bring back an action um, and i think this is good to review from time to time but i don't think there's anything we need to do right now and i think this has been a good and healthy discussion uh member schmidt yeah um i would uh like to request if it's appropriate that the letter that was just mentioned, uh, maybe it be uh, passed, e either presented in some way or passed around members um, for uh, not necessarily for other, other than you, Chair Yankee, because I know you, you said you were going to take this on, but to to give us a chance to maybe make a couple of comments on it and a lot of it being in accord with what's been mentioned here earlier today uh i don't think that letter has to be s some magical creation um but yeah i think it 
as member Pilpel says, um, it does probably need to give the case to them. In these 6734 cases where it's de novo, I think it's incumbent on the ethics commission to do their job yeah. uh, because they tell they tell us that they're going to redo the whole thing. Uh, but if we at least inform them in the letter of what the conduct was of the obstructive or obstreperous uh, department head and how they failed, um, I think if we just present that, that's the main thing we want to convey in our letter. So just a request uh, that maybe uh, the letter not go out before we've seen it. Yeah, I can, if you'd like, I can send a draft out to everyone. Um, we can't, I don't, I don't think we can have like a group discussion on it because that might be immediate, but if you want to then directly email your comments back to me um, and I can do my best to incorporate them in there. Um, I, I don't think the letter itself then comes back for another vote. So at some point I'm just going to send it. Obviously I'll do my best to incorporate everyone's feedback if it's, Somehow conflicting, I, I guess I'll have to deal with it. Um, and that's a good point, I think, to, to kind of figure out, you know, if process wise for ourselves, um, how, how we want this to go, right? You know, um, should everyone get input on it? Should one task force member be assigned the task independently? Should we have like a review? Um, you know, we're obviously doing the, the um, annual report one way where it's kind of open and everyone, you know, even to the public in that matter. I don't think it needs to be that comprehensive of a way to do it. Um, but I'm open to suggestions in this case, since we kind of already, you know, made the thought that I'll, I'll work on it, but I'll certainly send it out if you want to take a look and everyone else can take a look as well. I've been Whatever works, I, I think to the extent that you can tell the story and it imbue it with color and flavor so that. And, and I would urge if yeah. anyone I've spent basically the last couple of weeks in my in my free time listening to every single hearing that we've had about this from the beginning to make sure that I didn't miss anything so I can kind of give it a, a timeline. So I think this is a very timeline-based thing to show just the extent of time that's taken place, the various evolving answers we've received. But all that being said, if anyone has something that sticks out in their mind, it's better, it's easier for me if you email it to me now, let me know, hey, I think this is an important point I really want you to hit on. Um, so that I can kind of keep that in mind when I'm writing it rather than on the back end, let me know about it because it's kind of a little more cumbersome to try to put it in that way. Sounds good to me. Okay. Mr. Uh, Mr. So Chair. Feel free to email me. Uh, yeah, Member Wolf, go ahead. Yeah, just real quick. You know, one of the things that I was, um, that I do, I've done from time to time is just read, you know, some, a couple of their, the complaints or, or cases that they have and how they request um, respondents or parties to format, uh, what they, what they want kind of thing. Uh, because what they, lots of times the, what I've read, they read like court briefs, they're formatted that way. Um, so the question then I have is, is whether we could, uh, uh, engage our legal counsel, uh, to put it into some sort of legal form or structure that uh, ethics, because th their investigative department that does all this work, they're all lawyers there. This is this is how they they work. We're not lawyers. 
except one of us, but um, the, uh, you know, but it may be, uh, we might be able to engage our own legal counsel for help just in the writing of it. Yeah, that's a great point, Member Wolf. And in fact, I had um, even talked just on a real you know, high level to our DCAs and asked them if they would at least take a look at what I came up with, obviously recognizing that that I'm not a lawyer and I'm not trained in writing legal briefs, um, but they said they would take a look at it. Now, I'm not sure how much that will lead to them rewriting it or formatting it or whatever else, but I'm gonna do my best to at least engage them as much as they are willing to be engaged in this process. Cause I think that would just add value, like you said, since the ethics commission is, you know, typically getting their communications um, from lawyers. Also, as a result of discussions that you might have with ethics staff, um, and in the course of writing and editing this particular referral, not specific to the police or this matter, if there are things that you think are really good for future task forces, chairs, people assigned, whatever to include, that might be a good one page summary for the task forces use. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking might evolve out of this. Yeah, we'll see. And, and I'm thinking also, you know, maybe this is something that when uh, CAC, the Compliance Amendments Committee, you know, refers it back that they do it in a way, um, perhaps they could kind of give a, you know, a, a yeah. quick summary to the task force, um, whether it be a quick letter, you know, that one of the CAC members works on or something, just kind kind of give us a little bit more of a, I think in this instance we should follow this, you know. This path, you know, referring to the chart potentially or, or whatever else it is. That they, That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I just want to make sure that, you know, I think we, we all recognize that when, when something like this is going to get sent over, that it's going to be the responsibility of, of one of us to to write it up and, and want to make sure that both it's not any one person's, you know, thrown on them as their sole responsibility because it's, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, and also to Member Schmidt's point, that everyone also gets a chance to weigh in on it since it is. We don't do these that frequently, and we want to make sure that what we do send over to the Ethics Commission, to the fullest extent I think that we can, incorporates everyone's ideas. Um, we're all valuable. We all have a little bit of a different perspective, and um, I think it's valuable that as much as possible, what we send them includes everyone else's thoughts. I, I'm now remembering back years ago, there was a matter that I think involved the waiting list for the Marina Yacht Harbor, um, where we find found a a willful violation and sent that over and I ended up drafting the referral motion or letter and there wasn't a whole lot of guidance and I had to kind of like make it up on my anyway so to the extent that we can develop something for future use um that would be great yeah yeah it'd be nice not to reinvent the wheel every time right. we start because we these are infrequent right and so the more we can kind of have some precedent to to build off of I think has helped not only does it give us and in particular, what is it that they need over there? If they say, we really, you know, want to listen to all of the minutes from start to finish, great, we'll send you all the, the you know, recordings or minutes. If they say, we really don't care about that, we want to see document. Okay, then what is it that they want that makes it work? Right. So there's-, there's Well, right, and, and, you know, part of the, you know, the problems is they say that, for instance, that um, they want to look at the findings of fact. Well, we don't typically have votes on findings of fact, right? You know, and in fact, we may find a violation, each member may view the facts somewhat differently mm -hmm. and still vote to find a violation um, for, for different reasons. Um, and then some members may vote not to, to find a violation, right? And so, um, 
what one person says the findings of fact are may not be everyone's version of what the facts are. Um, so I think that kind of complicates things a little bit too, since we don't really vote on a comprehensive report, we vote on a motion as best as we can put together in a in a live meeting. Whereas, you know, as we've discussed, most other commissions and boards have a, a, a full report that they're voting on, and they're kind of voting on that, adopting that report that they're getting, um, where we kind of all are working. In, in real time to come up with it, and we really can't do something like that. In, in a meeting, we already obviously have backlogs and that's, I think, going to be the next thing we discuss. Um, so, coming up with, you know, multi page reports, we all agreed on in, in, in meetings is never going to be doable. Have fun. <laughs> so, anyway, um, let me know if you have thoughts on that particular 1, um, if you have thoughts more generally speaking on. This, and I think we can ready for public comment on this. Public comment now. Yeah. Uh, public comment on item number seven. Uh, can you please raise your hand and let us know if you are ready to make public comment? Um, Administrator Peterson, can you tell us if there's anybody in the queue? Well, she unmuted me. Sullivan. Let me know when to go. Are you ready, sir? Uh, yep, I'm ready. Go ahead. I agree that the task force should ask the ethics commission how they define willful failure. And whatever evidence is required to find an elected official department head willful under Ordinance 6734. Being on the same page would save the task force and the Ethics Commission a lot of time. Moving a complaint forward to the Ethics Commission is really about how they interpret the Sunshine Ordinance. Just want to point out a few things on their Enforcement Regulation Section 10, PDF page 18. On A, they, they talk about willful violations of elected officials and department heads, and at the end, they refer pursuant to Sunshine Ordinance Section 6735. It should be 6734. You go down to B, referrals, and then they go to if a city officer or employee fails to comply. And you guys have been twisting yourselves out to get the, the, uh, the department head of police uh to be in co in compliance but it, in their thing they it, it, in their uh enforcement they have city officer and employee fails so it gets really i don't know it gets twisted as to what they're what they're actually saying it seems like any city officer or employee fails to comply with the ordinance can be referred to them and then they we use 6735d as your referral thing which is fine i guess but 6735D says any person may institute proceedings for enforcement and penalties under this act, which means anyone, including the public, and not necessarily specifically an agency. The Ethics Commission, from what I know, has only found one person in violation of the Sunshine Ordinance, and that was, uh, I think, Gomez, and it was probably in 2014. Just my, in my opinion, the ethics commission uh, really doesn't want to have much to do with sunshine ordinance. Uh, they're more, unless it involves some 
uh, money or something of value or certain personal relationships involved in it. Um, anyway, thank you for your time. Okay, thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Do we have any other callers? There is one more caller in the queue. You've been unmuted. I've been unmuted. If you can hear me, uh, let me know when you uh, would like me to begin. Uh, you may begin now, sir. Beg your pardon? You may begin now. Thank you. Peter Warfield here. First of all, I'm glad you're having the discussion. There's a lot of undefined things, including, as you've mentioned, willful and what that means and what that implies and so on. I'm, uh, my head is spinning because I haven't had time to review this other than to listen to the conversation. So at the top of my list is I'm very concerned about closed private meetings with any outside agency that itself might be problematic. I'm also concerned, and in other words, I think some of these discussions would reasonably be held at a public meeting so that everybody can know what, uh, who thinks what and what their position is and so on and so forth, so we can all play by the same rules ultimately. I'm very concerned about contacts and apparently extensive contacts with just the Ethics Commission and not members of the public who may have had their own experiences with the Ethics Commission, such as myself and many other people, uh, members of the public, people who care about open government, and so on and so forth. Um, the uh, question, for example, do they do things de novo, or do they hear it brand new? Basically, why shouldn't they uh, take you as the client, so to speak, bringing the complaint that you have found a violation on for enforcement? That's some, you know, that's one of your objectives. Um, I had an experience that I'd be glad to talk about if you want to uh, ask, but it was highly unsatisfactory in a range of ways. Um, it was included in three things, in one thing that you haven't mentioned at all, apparently, although I don't know if the search function works. I kept trying to find page 26 and it didn't register that, nor did it register the word joint or grand jury or Alan Grossman or lawsuit. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure about lawsuit. Uh, the grand jury not that long ago called the Ethics Commission the sleeping watchdog. That was their uh, heading. Um, Alan Grossman, a uh, retired lawyer, brought a suit against seconds. the Ethics Commission including about 18 cases, the, low, the latest, oldest one of which was one of ours, and uh, won the case against them for basically not properly functioning. So I do think that uh, there's a lot here, uh, but also a lot that you've left out. There was also a joint meeting. I think perhaps Bruce Wolf might remember uh, at some point as part of the history. So joint meeting, grand jury, the Mr. suit Warfield, by Alan Grossman, and talking to the public, not Thank just you, Mr. Warfield. officials. Are there any callers? There are no other callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment. And if there's no other comment, they've 
The Gomez matter was Jewel Gomez when she was chair of the Library Commission. There's all kinds of history here. I think we had a great discussion. No action tonight. More in the future as is warranted. All right. We're going to move on to item number eight. Item number eight, hearing edits to the Sunshine Task Force complaint procedure, discuss proposed edits to the, to the Task Force complaint procedure under consideration by the complaint committee to expedite complaint processing. Okay. Um, talk about this, um, so, you know, I, I, for those who are, are new uh, to us here, uh, we, we do have a backlog. I think we've made some progress, but we're still probably by the time a case comes before us after it's first initially been filed is probably several months, if not approaching around a year, right? Which is I have the most up to date data well, on it. I, I'll let uh, Vice Chair Stein on, and, <laughs> and I certainly don't want to put um, Member Schmidt, Vice Chair Stein, or Member Shirkman on, uh, you know, have them uh, come up with a final proposal. Now that this wasn't the purpose of this item, but I know that they've had discussions in the last few meetings about. Um, complaint procedure, what we can do to do that. And so I just thought this would be a good opportunity for them to kind of loop everyone else in. This isn't an action item. This isn't to decide on any final things now. Just if you want to share where you're at and if anyone had ideas that they wanted to share with you, if they couldn't, you know, do it otherwise, it'd be a good opportunity for it. So I'll turn it over to maybe the three of you if you want to just give a quick summary of where you're at and what, what the backlog looks like and what your thoughts are. Well, I'm happy to start if... Um... If that's all right, yeah, we we've talked about ways to attack the backlog. That's sort of the topic here. The we had a couple of meetings. It may have actually been three meetings where we sort of had open discussion among the members, and then I think there was. I think there was public comment. I can't guarantee that about sort of ways that we can make things more efficient, make way, ways that we can do things faster, uh, and thusly ways that we would change the rules around to do that. I Certainly, um, we had a great discussion with all three of us at one of the meetings. Great input from everyone. Uh, well, from both of my other members of my committee, at least. Um, and it sort of was informally um i took it on to try to come up with a proposal uh and and i i felt it's like i i know that i tried to make some changes a while back and was generally not able to do so uh so i i thought i i wouldn't repeat myself because i tend not to, well, I, I tend not to like beating my head on a wall, although I probably do it more often than I, I wish. Uh, so 
I was trying to figure out a way to do this that would be both amenable to my sense of other members' interests, but also um, to the realities here. And I think that the what 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 I've done is I've come up with, but only as of today, I've come up with a draft of something that I'm going to present to the other members of the complaint committee at our next meeting. And I'm hoping we can maybe have it approved and then have it move on to this task force, possibly at our next meeting, which would be the March meeting. Um, and my, the changes that I came up with, I actually try to leave as much in place as possible to make this very focused. And basically I, my proposal will be to make changes only to paragraph one of section C of the complaint procedures, which is, that's the paragraph that sort of addresses what, how, how hearings are done on complaints. Uh, but I try to limit what I want to do here to just that paragraph. But ultimately, what I want to do to that paragraph is to make some significant changes. And I decided that maybe, and I'm going to talk about this with my committee members after I give it this to them, because I'm certainly open to, you know, I may have made mistakes, they may have recommendations, but my focus here is sort of a, a on ongoing concern about non-compliance with the 45-day limit that's contained in 67.21e and and that's not just me i know that others are concerned about that and i feel like we're so out of compliance that it just doesn't even register maybe anymore uh with maybe with even members of the public it's like that maybe members of the public have just given up on this uh, but I feel like we're so out of compliance with that, and I've been trying to read about what the legal result of that is. One legal result being that, you know, people could bring writ, get writs <laughs> against us for not complying with 67.21e. I'm trying to figure out a way that we might be able to both bring down the backlog and do it by focusing on only those matters that are addressed by that 45-day limit, which is violations of 67.21b. And my proposal is going to be about a way that, one, we handle 67.21b complaints, which actually is a lot of the stuff that comes through here in a in a, a matter where it pr prioritizes them as to time 
and it attempts to to meet the 45-day limit. It's it sort of segregates those off from all other matters that we consider to be a complaint here, and that we also um, allow the committees that hear complaints to um, make determinations of violations of 67.21b where they see fit without changing anything outside of paragraph one. That's what my proposal is going to be at our next committee hearing. Hopefully, we'll get it to this task force um, maybe at the next meeting in March. Thank you, Member Schmidt. Uh, Mr. Steinick? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I will just say um, from my perspective, I'm not, it's not the backlog per se that bothers me, but it's the 45 day that we're not even close to that. And just to give you all, Upcoming numbers of what I've found in looking at this year's this past year's complaints, it took 407 days for these complaints to be heard for the 1st time by the full SOTF for all the on average for all the complaints that we heard last year. I don't know why, but it was like significantly longer than it took the previous year. The previous year, it took 227 days on average for a complaint to be heard. But even that is just so far from this 45 day turnaround. And I feel like this really prevents us from helping petitioners get the information they want or need in a timely fashion. I actually feel like we heard more complaints in person from members of the public who came before us about how long this whole process took. Um, Just, you know, they basically would say to us, like, it's been a year, it's been two years, this is, you know, too much. Um, I feel like I heard that more last year than I heard the year before, and this might be one of the reasons why. Um, and not only that, but like last this past year, we heard at the full SOTF task force level, we heard 49 complaints, right? That was what we heard for the year, basically. Um, the year before, we heard 55. The number of new complaints that we got last year were 103. So even if we have made some progress on, you know, lots of cases were dismissed this past year, I think 79 cases or something, we still are obviously getting more complaints than we can process in a year. So I don't see an end to the backlog based on the numbers that we've been seeing in the last two years um, as I've tracked them. So, you know, my, my feeling is that just, you know, we can do better than this and that we need to basically give people timely and equitable access. And right now the process is getting bogged down. Um, for a variety of reasons that, you know, I hopefully will address in the annual report, but I just feel really strongly that we can do better. And one of the things that we've been trying to look at is um, at a fundamental level, what is the purpose of committee review? What are, you know, how do we best use our time there? What cases do we best, you know, consider there? Um, and, and those are some of the discussions we've been having and thinking about, you know, do we, you know, what issues do we need to really address in committee versus maybe there are some things that, can be fast tracked to the full SOTF because maybe there's no disagreement about the fact that we might have jurisdiction, that these are public documents and um, you know, other other things pertaining to that. 
So, um, you know, even with the consent calendar, it seems like things did not get that much better. You know, of the cases that we decided, like a, a fair, a fair amount were sent to the consent calendar to decide, but even that I would say is using like enormous amounts of resources. You know, everybody then has to read them and I'm not sure that. That's necessary after they've passed through committee when they're clear and maybe also when they deal with timeliness violations and I'll also say, I think last year. Half of the violations we found were just timeliness violations. I haven't tallied up um, the actual violations that we found this year, but of the alleged violations, a third of the alleged violations were timeliness violations. So maybe if it's just about timeliness, maybe if all the records have been provided, maybe if there are no disagreements about uh, jurisdiction and that these are public documents, maybe those cases don't need to go to a full hearing. And I'll say too, again, like just looking at how many hearings each case had before either a committee or the full task force, the average last year was 2.5. So there seems to be like some redundancy in the process. And while I know there's some value to us, you know, looking at things very closely and multiple times, perhaps, um, I think there's also um, a, a big value to petitioners to get their information in a timely fashion. And I think that's what we should be focusing on. Thank you, Vice Chair Stein. Member Sherkman, did you want to weigh in? Um, yes, just a few things that I recall from our conversation. Um, it honestly felt, um, I, I think that um, the other two members are being very diplomatic about it. <laughs> uh, it feels like it, they were pretty passionate about certain things that felt, um, as Member Stein just said, um, could be fast-tracked and were potentially repetitive. Um, and what I remember most that I that I agreed with was that it felt as though petitioners and, and people and respondents, people that were involved in these cases were having to appear before us twice, basically, you know, um, for the, before the complaint committee and then re-arguing their cases again in front of the full task force. And that is what that felt like. It felt like there wasn't necessarily any purpose for them to do it twice. And also that, um, you know, it's, I mean, they, these are, these are evening meetings that people like they, they can't show up to all of them. These people specifically that are appearing for it before us. Um, and so that was kind of the, just the, the, like the, the biggest thing that stood out, um, and kind of to add to that, you know, the discussion that we were having today, um, about the Cicero case and ethics commissions referrals. Um, so you have that within the complaint committee where you, you almost, you, you could have a, a good value there for, for people who are bringing their cases to us where you could have them appear before us so we could tell them, oh, well, you're missing this file or maybe you need to find this to complete your case before you bring it before the full sunshine task force. But then you get to these cases where the fact finding is going on, just it's being pushed, the case is being pushed before the full task force for so much time. So I feel like there's like an extended efficiency issue that's starting with the complaint committee and then just going on through the task force um, that I didn't bring up during the ethics discussion, because I'm still kind of understanding that referral process. I didn't want to like step into something that people have a better understanding of, but it seems to me that in the context now that we're discussing within the complaint committee and now onto the task force, that there should be at some point a discussion and action on um, 
making that process more efficient. Um, as we discussed um, briefly and different members had brought up limiting the amount of times people are able to bring those things forward, make setting limits on it and potentially within that way. Um, expediting limiting what the complaint committee is also hearing or putting forward or pushing forward directly to the task force. Thank you, Member Shergman. Want me to move on to anyone else on this? Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Member Coppell. Um, I think we spend a lot of time talking about the backlog and talking about how we deal with cases and not as much time actually hearing cases and disposing of them finally. And it would be nice to do that. I have this dream that um, if the complaint committee is meeting once a month and if the other two committees are meeting every other month, so collectively once a month, uh, if each of them heard six cases per meeting, actual cases, not cases that were going to be heard but then got pulled and whatever, but actually six cases, if all of those or most of those were referred to the full task force on a consent calendar, find no violation, find a violation, whatever, right? And if the task force heard six cases that weren't heard at committee for whatever good reason, we could arguably be moving through 18 cases a month. And if we did 18 cases a month consistently for some period of time, we would work that down to zero. I mean, it would take some time and we'd have to be very diligent, but it is possible. Again, it's a beautiful dream. Um, I would rather, frankly, do more of that than keep talking about it. And if we've got the consent calendar procedure, let's use that except where it really doesn't make sense to. So the default, in my view, should be um, if we've got three votes at a committee or a unanimous vote at the committee, that it was this or it was that or whatever, make the recommendation, put it on the consent calendar. You know, unless a committee really got it wrong or the committee thought we don't have enough information to make a recommendation, I think most of us are happy to defer to whichever committee in general. It's not like with three, four, or even five members on a committee, if it's a unanimous vote, like the committee is going to really get that so far wrong. And if any of us think that that happened, we can always pull something off the consent calendar and say, you know, I really think on reflection that it. And again, that could be an option, but that we use it rarely. So the more we can try to get through stuff, I think the more we can actually get through stuff. But hey, just me. Member Kumar? Um, I'm new, but I uh, like I gone through the meeting meetings, previous meetings, and um, I also agree with uh, member Pilpil. Like there are like a lot of things that can be uh, prioritized and there's a term in tech product management called prioritization. And I was wondering, um, I mean, it's a futuristic thing, but maybe um, in the future to make things easier, we have one person from the task force, like sort of like a subcommittee that goes through all the cases determines which one is should come in front of the task force which ones can be you know deprioritized or i mean there 
obviously like human errors can will be there in the process there will be some important cases that that person might err but um it's just something i was thinking of how to make it more efficient in terms of the complaints that we're getting thank you member kumar uh, mr chair yeah member wolf and then i'll go back to you folks yeah i lost my internet connection for the meat of this um but just picking up on what member kumar just said i you know i i i the question is, is, isn't that what the purpose of the uh, complaint committee is for? Uh, or any or the, any of the other committees that we've uh, opened up uh, to uh, to do the initial intake, so to speak. Um, I, I didn't hear the rest of member Schmidt's um, presentation, so I, I'm kind of a little bit at a loss here. Thank you, Member Wolf. Uh, Member Sugarman. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, just going off that entire conversation that yes, that is, I believe what the complaint committee before is, is for. Um, but what Member Pilpel said, you know, in terms of being able for the complaint committee to make that decision without necessarily going to the task force fully. Uh, I think that what comes up often in our conversations is an, is an issue of like fairness. So is it fair for, you know, the petitioner or the person who wants to, if we make a decision that they don't want and they want the full task force to hear it, I think that potentially, because that is, that is the discussion I, that I re recall us having as well as why, or at least a question that I raised, which was, you know, why we can't make that decision. Um, for me, I, I feel like there should be like a, an intermediary step where um, I, like I'm, I'm not sure when you mentioned the consent calendar, but basically, if we do make that decision on the complaint committee, if another member can see that decision and object to it, I, it's more it's more a question of like making sure the people that are that are arguing the cases they don't have to appear and redo the case each time. So if we make that decision, and then another member on the task force has has the like the the full task force sees that decision. And they can raise an objection to it if they want to, and if they don't, then the decision stands, and we don't have to re-argue. We don't have to listen to the arguments for the entire case again. Is my yeah. suggestion. If you, I'm gonna jump in real fast. <clears throat> I haven't spoken yet. Um, I, I'm totally with you. I think that's really the the way to go. I think that there's there's way too much redundancy as it is now. Um, but there's also that issue of fairness, right? You want to make sure that if a task force member does have a very strong feeling or thinks that there's a point that was missed, that there's some mechanism that that's also in there. And so I think that's an excellent suggestion. Um, I just, as, as we continue along with the discussion, I just wanted to <clears throat> add a few things in there too about why certain things, you know, uh, to, to Vice Chair Stein's point, um, why we may be seeing less um, complaints being heard um, and, and how on the back end that, that works sometimes. So, number one, if we look at enforcement of cases, right? And we're looking at just, this is an example because we've talked about a lot, the Cicero case, right? That's that's appeared on five or six, more, at my last- More time. than one. More, much more than one. Yeah. Um, and when we, we look at a finite meeting schedule that we have um, and that each, you know, slot represents, you know, a, a case we can either hear or rehear. Every time we rehear something, that's something we, we can't hear for the first time. Um, and so, um, uh, this almost gets back to, I think, the point Member Anderson made that at a certain point, I think we need to have a cutoff on you know, an expectation that we're only going to hear these cases so many times. And not that we're going to throw our hands up and say, you know, there's something we can do about it. We need to have some finality where we, I think, collectively decide it's not productive to hear this over and over and over again because 
every time we rehear it, we are denying someone else the opportunity to have their case heard, um, which gets to my next point about continuances. Um, and this is a lot of the thing we do on the kind of on the back end where we put the um, agenda together and then we send it out. We don't hear anything. We send out notice of appearances. So the way it works is that Cheryl sends me a variety of cases, usually somewhere around 10 or so to choose from. And I try to as best, best as possible go in order of, of, of when they were filed. And I'll try to take into account that, you know, if someone's showing up, maybe we can get two of their cases at once. So they have to make two different trips down here or come to two different meetings. Um, we come up with the, the, the tentative hearing schedule. We uh, send out notices of appearances about two or th three weeks prior to the meeting. Um, then the week before the meeting, we come up with the final agenda. Problem oftentimes we come up with that list of cases we're going to hear. And a week later, we get a response from someone who says, I can't make it continue it. Right? Um, and it's too late. At that point, it's exactly yeah. at that point. It's now too late to send out another notice of appearance to someone else to replace their case because they wouldn't have enough time to get their supplemental material together. So, as you look through the complaint procedures, look to see how many days we say people have to respond. It's something like 5 days, right? Um. So, and, and so maybe we're too flexible on, on the continuances, mm -hmm. um, but that might be getting back to the other point about should people have to come to the task force anyways, if it's already decided at the complaint level. Um, yeah, a lot of cases that came in front of the task force, I think there are about 10 of them, like just the petitioners didn't show up or yeah. they decided they were going to have it dismissed. Right. Or yeah. So either, either no shows or last minute continuances, all those things. Also deny someone else a spot right. on the, on the, on the counter. And maybe that's some of us moving less more away from the, the remote. I, I, I don't know what caused that, but it seems that some of these are a lot. So when we take votes on continuing matters, I think we need to keep that in mind as well, that by continuing it, we're denying someone a spot at the next meeting to have their case heard. So I think as much as possible, we want to hear and find some type, come to some finality without continuing it. Um, Another thing that, that that popped up that we need to get under control is the amount of administrative errors we're seeing. Um, there are too many meetings being canceled, too many files being continued because submitted materials weren't in. Like so, so next next time we're going to hear an Antrobo case that's continued because materials that were submitted never made their way into the packet. It wasn't a complete packet. Everything we were supposed to hear at the December meeting didn't get heard because that committee had to be canceled because. Administrative issues with posting requirements were not met. Um, if we're missing one or two meetings a year out of 12 because of administrative issues and another handful, five to 10 cases a year because materials weren't included or whatever else happened, that's a lot of other cases that aren't being heard. So that's something I'm going to continue to work with the clerk's office on. Um, yeah, I'll just pipe in that there were yeah. two meetings that were canceled, two full SOTF meetings yeah. that were canceled. So when, when we're having 12 and we get down to, to 10, that's a huge percentage. Thinking if we can hear six to, you know, eight cases, you know, per, per meeting, um, that's a lot, right? That's 12 to 14 cases right there. Yeah, 7, 14 to, or whatever, around 15 cases that, that were, you know, impacted by that. And then another thing I think we all need to be cognizant on and maybe we need to you know actually come up with a policy on it is our own person time time limits for all of us when we participate um when we're having hearings and i've at one point a couple of years ago i kind of did an average of how long 
the average complaint takes when we actually hear it. And it was somewhere between 45 to 60 minutes per case. Um, some of those, some of that time is based on what's in the earning complaint procedures. There's the five minute presentation on both sides, um, three minute rebuttal. So that's what 16 minutes that's already baked into the um, complaint procedure. But if we're getting to 45 to 60 minutes or even longer, that's a lot of us talking. Um, and so I know a lot of us have taken well beyond five or 10 minutes of time when we hear complaints. Um, I think the Board of Supervisors has some type of limits and says members can talk on particular issue X amount of minutes. And if they want to go beyond that, the board has to agree. And that's obviously not something they do on a, on a consistent basis. Um, on the next meeting agenda, I'm putting, uh, I'm being ambitious. And since we're kind of talking about policy issues at this meeting, I'm going to try to put on a variety of cases. Some of them are reconsiderations. Some of them are, admit, but all told, I think it's something like eight or nine cases. So it's going to be an ambitious schedule. Not all of them are start to finish one. One's the Trebeau one that we kind of just have to finish up and other ones are reconsideration. So it's not a full hearing, but nonetheless, I think it'll be a good test. I think we all need to go into it thinking, you know, when I'm taking time to ask an additional question or bring up an additional point or raise my hand again, is it really that important to make this particular file go on that much longer? Because if we can get each, you know, file down to 25 to 30 minutes, we could double the amount of cases we hear each meeting, which means we're that twice as fast at doing it. So I think either we need to police ourselves, or if we can't, maybe we actually consider making some type of time limit for ourselves, just like we have time limits to our presenters. So. There is a police department. <laughs> you just discussed that. Yeah, that wasn't part of our proposal at the moment, but it was something we discussed. And um, I'm personally in favor of it. I think it would really help people focus on what are the most important questions to ask and what are the most important comments yeah. to make. And I think that would be. Yeah. And it was something I'll, I'll, I'll member neighbors when she was with us had brought up to me and had anticipated bringing before the task force right before passing. So um, I know it's come up sure. before. Uh, I'll get you in a sec, Member Wolf. I have Member Kumar, Member Schmidt, and then you, Member Wolf. Um, I just have a suggestion. So I think uh, just um, uh, going off what Member Yankee said, um, I think it makes a lot of sense to maybe have a framework. So where we have like, okay, there are these three categories, no shows and all that. So those won't be discussed or, you know, we can park them for later. And then we have these categories where there are these certain types of cases, which are very similar to each other that have come in several times. And we know how much time it usually takes to solve those. So we have like a time limit, like the framework defines it. And then we work according to the framework. So, for example, if we have a case that can be finished in 5 minutes and historically that kind of case has been finished in 5 minutes, we sort of stick to that limit and we limit the additional questions like something on those lines. If we draw that kind of a framework, it might. I mean, there will be outliers for sure, but I think it might um, make our job much easier. It would me mean a lot of hard work initially going through historical records and. Going, coming up with it, but once we do it, it'll just make it easier for everyone else. That's what I was thinking. Thank you. Thank you, Member Kumar, uh, Member Schmidt, and then you, Member Wolf. Yeah, two points. Uh, first, I, I just want to emphasize that I would personally be agreeable to a lot of different changes, um, and several of the ones that have been discussed here tonight. I. Uh, if I have something that I'm going to try to have my committee submit, uh, 
that's just what I thought in my judgment might have the best chance at being done uh, at this time. But I don't I don't want to discourage members of my committee to do other things, and I don't want to discourage any of these other things. Um, but what what I'm trying to do with just the 67.21B 45-day cases is, is sort of a, a very targeted attempt at change. Second point is um, to to a totally separate thing, I think, uh, but to remember uh, Terry Yankee's idea about uh, time. Um, I, I have no problem with time limits. Uh, they sound like they're a little harder to manage, though. I would encourage um, also, and I would accept if the chair were uh, somewhat more imperious with us and would um, would govern us a little more in terms of our expenditure of time. I know that's not easy. It's it's very hard to figure out, you know, what's fair, what's not fair. Uh, but I, I would certainly accept because I know I often talk too much, uh, being, you know, stopped and capped. And so um, that's just something I would also encourage as a possible <laughs> means to cut on time. Thank you, Member Schmidt. Uh, Member Wolf? Yeah, a couple of things. I think I catch the gist of uh, what uh, a lot has been said here. Um, a few things. One is the, with the 45 day rule, you know, I, I, one of the things that we tried to do is to give enough authority to the um, committees, you know, for, you know, just finding jurisdiction and, uh, uh, you know, whether the records are public and that the, 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 the file is complete, you know, so it shouldn't be much more than that. And uh, though some things can be pretty detailed, I get it. Um, but I'm just wondering if, if there's something um, that needs to be tweaked in that process, then I, I don't see, you know, as far as the 45 day rule, why that, sh that should be backlogged. Uh, that shouldn't be backlogged at all. The backlog should be with the full task force, if anything. Um, and, and since now we've opened it up to the other two committees, then there should be enough to go around to, to be able to get through it pretty quickly. Uh, the second thing is, is if there, if we're going to, the ideas, and this has come up before, to have the committees make more or less go through the entire the, the, uh, kind of case itself, the whole pro com complaint process and come to a determination. Um, it's one thing we did with the, um, consent calendar that helps a lot, but if it was going to be to to do the full adjudic the full adjudication to determination as a recommendation, um, and then the rest of the task force doesn't have the ability to um, kind of review it in full, then the parties don't get the expectation of the full brain trust. Uh, to hear, you know, by the entire task force, and that this is not the first time we've had this discussion or 
this this issue has come up. So, um, and that's been a, a kind of what I've heard from uh, parties on both sides, uh, that if it was just going to be three people on a committee and then the rest of the task, they didn't have the pleasure or the enjoyment of the rest of the task force to hear it in full, that would be problematic. So one remedy for that, if that was to, to happen, is to make sure that there was, you know, full set of, of minutes that could be, uh, that was uh, detailed, really detailed. It, it's It's a little painstaking to have to sit through a whole meeting, you know, either watching it or, or listening to it than being able to read something on paper, which can be a little bit faster. Uh, next point is, um, I thought we already have a policy on limiting the number of complaints per person uh, per year. Um, or that may... Sorry? Should. We should if we don't. <laughs> Yeah, I thought we, I, I recall we've had some conversations about that uh, when it came to uh, both uh, Anonymous and Ms. Trubeau that had a, a high number of complaints that actually contributed to a lot of the uh, uh, backlog. Um, I've suggested that before I get burned in the public square across the street. So. Well, no, no, but we, we did solve, resolve those by creating a, a, a group of people that would, you know, a group here, either two or three, that would meet in a special meeting just for the those complaints to determine which ones were priority or not, and then get agreement with the uh, complainant as to which ones, and we would try to pare it down to a handful that would represent all the others. Like for anonymous, most of them were all duplicative. So it's like if you do one, then it's going to apply to all of them. So it made it a whole lot easier. And then you can do what you were saying before. If if you have a kind of a boilerplate for you know for one, and it applies to the next ten. Then you can just apply it, and it's and you can refer uh, to the uh, uh, reference, uh, the first one. Um, the last, uh, the other one uh, on the time of the complaints. You know, ethics has a much easier time with this. Why? Because of their investigative unit. They they're the ones that do all the discovery. They do all the interviews. They do all that work, and then they present uh, the the evidence. And the and the uh, kind of these discussion or the the crux of the, of the case. So and then ethics just has a question to answer, and if they have if they have questions or what have you, the the bulk of the work had already been done by that unit. I, I can't expect our committees to be able to do that, um, but somehow we have to find a way that maybe that can um, that can happen. And then I just want last thing is I just want to make sure that the affirmation forms are are being implemented um, because if more respondents uh, were either pleading uh, no contest or uh, it, it, they agree it's a non-compliance, then that makes things go a lot faster too. And that's it. Thank you.
Okay, uh, before member, Pilba, I just have a few things to answer some of the questions that um, I'll, I'll work in reverse order affirmation forms. Um, they are absolutely being sent out. Cheryl's been an ex doing an excellent job making sure they're attached to all of them. I have heard, though, from custodians of records that they, I don't know why, that's, that's I'm sure, conversations they've had internally. They do not want to put things in writing that says, I'm guilty of this. So while my understanding is, while some of them are open to coming to either the committee or the task force and admitting it and having things move forward, that they don't want that to be put in writing. So I think most, if not all, are not submitting affirmation forms, the ones I've seen. Um, does consistently is Hank Heckel. Half of them do, I thought. Affirmation forms? That's what I thought when, well, no, the thing that, the thing that Lori. That one I've seen, the Lori's is different. That's, yeah, yeah, the, following the uh, kind of our guidelines for how to prepare your rebuttal. That goes out defense. too. Yeah, that goes out too. But the actual responding, checking the box that says, you know, I'm guilty of this type of thing. I've not really seen that. Or almost all of them will check the I want a disputed box if I do it's, see it. It's an, it's an element of the consent calendar. That's how we do it. That's how you do it. Um, um, okay, so, anyway. so so the next, moving on. Um, uh, I, I think another point is, is um, we should have committees, if they feel necessary, to combine files, right? If there are ones that are very similar, I think, uh, be a little bit more liberal in the usage of combining files, particularly if it's, you know, the respondents are the same and it's largely the same complaint. I think a lot of times we hear ones that are very, very similar, um, which is kind of some of the minor details different, but I think we could all hear it in one instead of having, you know, start at the, you know, all the way at the beginning and hear it from the beginning again. Um, something that, you know, we, we, uh, another talk about, okay, how many times can people do complaints? Just to run out, I'm not saying I'm endorsing this idea, something to think about. Um, Maybe about a year or so ago, I um, I had a discussion. So the city of Alameda has their own kind of sunshine ordinance task force. I forget what it's called, sunshine commission or something. Um, and what they had instituted was almost like a, a, a three strike system there where people who complainants who come before their version of us and have the um, commission task force, whatever you want to call it, rule against them on multiple occasions are kind of put on a... Uh, a hold period where they can't submit new cases because it seems that what they're submitting um, doesn't have a lot of uh, agreement among the board members that they're valid complaints. Um, and I can think that there are some uh, ones that we're hearing on a, on a somewhat routine basis now where we're ruling rather regularly against the complainant. Um, and, and maybe those are ones that, you know, should there be some type of timeout period or deprioritization of those hearing where we're consistently um, fighting against the the complainant. Again, something to think about. I'm not making that as a proposal. Or different strategy, depending on the thing. Right. Um, and I think that would, to a certain extent, perhaps encourage those people who are filing complaints, make sure you file the ones that you think are the strongest version of what you're complaining about not throw 15 of them at us with different respondents and hope that one or two of them sticks as we work our way through it. I think some folks are using us in that way and it's not a productive use of, of our time or anyone's time really. Um, and then real fast to go back to what Member Schmidt said um, about the chair trying to uh, be a little bit stricter with time. I will try that next meeting. So apologies in advance if everyone, anyone thinks that I'm being rude and if, you find I'm, I'm I'm cutting you off too much. Let me know, and we can 
go back to the old way in March, but uh, um, I know February will be a, a kind of a heavy load of, yeah. um, of of files, and so I think it's a good time to test it. So I will do my best to uh, try not to cut people off, but give strong reminders to wrap it up. <laughs> and that's all I had. So member Anderson. Uh, yeah, and to that point, um, maybe if within the agenda, we could put a time limit on the discussion. So we can say 10 minutes worth of discussion on this or 15 or whatever number we come up with. So we have kind of a guidepost. We're getting to the end. So if you got a point, make a point and then jump off so somebody else can make their point too. So yeah, time limits help. It gives some idea of when the meeting will conclude. Right, later. right. Yeah, and, and to that point, um, 16 minutes are baked into complainant and respondent. Then there's public comment, which we never know, right? Um, so if we want to wrap things up in 30 minutes, that's about 15 minutes, not counting public comment, that we all have to do if we want to do things in, in, in that length of time. But maybe maybe the five-minute presentation followed by a three-minute rebuttal is too much. I mean, that's another thing we can look at. Um, I don't know. But are you talking about, like, just... Like, even this discussion, like, as an agenda item that we just say 20 minutes is how long. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah so not yeah. just the cases, not but, just the cases, yeah. but any discussion we're going to have so yeah. that we come in knowing we've got this much time. What are my points? Mm -hmm. What do I really see here? Because sometimes I'll get into the brainstorming thing and just, mm -hmm. you know, keep going. No, yeah. what's the points will move it ahead. Yeah, yeah and, and if perhaps if that's something that maybe wants to come out of committee. I don't want to be the only one to make it look like I'm censoring people and saying. You sent me this thing, and I only, I'm only going to give you 20 minutes, and I'm only going to give, you know, member Schmidt 10 minutes and member Pelfell five minutes or whatever it is. Um, I'd feel more comfortable doing that if I had some kind of recommendation from someone before arbitrarily or whatever. You know, I, I don't want it to be on me that makes it look like I'm the one who's or whoever is chair at the time um, is is the one limiting conversation. Member Pelfell, um, trying to be brief. Uh, three things on my mind. Uh, one, I was thinking a, a moment ago about Carl Kramer and sort of the Carl Kramer complaints. I don't have a good solution for that, but it seems like he's a guy who wants specific stuff and wants it in a particular format and some departments are have been better or and others not as good at providing it. I don't know how better to get at that because our process right now is department or record specific and it's kind of siloed as opposed to I'm looking for this from all the city departments. Here's the general format. It would be nice if they could all do it. And we don't have a real good way to do that. I don't have a solution to that, but I'm just thinking about that. For example, um, in terms of complaint management, if you will, um, I kind of trust and assume that chair Yankee that you and uh, chair uh, Schmidt at complaint go through the list regularly with Cheryl, with Pat, with Victor, with whoever, um, and triage and figure out, well, this thing should really go to there and that, is that ready to go? And blah, blah, blah. That you've got a pretty good sense of what's going on and are managing that process. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the people show up and that they're not gonna ask for a continuance and all that, but at least that you're trying to to make the the, this crazy thing work. Um, so yeah, I'm assuming you can assure us that that's all happening and 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 that's an ongoing challenge. 
It's, it's absolutely an ongoing challenge. Okay. Again, um, there's a lot that happens behind the right, scenes. Right, right, right. There's, there's yeah. prioritizing cases in the chronological order they came. There's prioritizing cases in similar petitioners or respondents so mm -hmm. that you can try to group them together. There's the throwing in all the other ones that were continued from the prior meeting that now, where do they right. put, you know, get put in the line. Um, there's the ones that had administrative errors and have to come back. There's the reconsiderations, people filed for requests for reconsiderations, and then there's the referrals back for compliance matters. So juggling all of that to try to fill yeah, up every agenda. I try to do a best to, to mix it up so that there's a representative. And I'm not saying that a, that a bad job is being done. I'm just saying we should appreciate the efforts that yeah. result in the agenda and the case and all that. Right. Okay. And just the final thing I would say in, in particular to, to Chair Schmidt, um, this item is captioned as edits to the uh, procedure. If you have specific edits through your committee to bring forward to the full task force, have at it when they're ready to go. I'm happy to look at it. I would generally defer. I, you know, I, I, I understand and recognize the tension between efficiency and fairness. We can be damn efficient and just say, yep, I've heard all I need to hear. There's a violation or the heck with it. Or I can say, tell me more, tell me more, tell me a lot more, right? We can go on and on. We can process these things to death. I think we need to find a balance and have procedures that allow for the variety of different things that we get so that we are both as efficient as we can be and yet provide as much fairness as we can. And that's not easy to do. That's why we keep talking about this. Mr. Chair. Yeah, go ahead, Member Wolf. Yeah, just real quick on, on Member Pilpel's last point about uh, like, uh, you know, using the Kramer uh, complaints as an example. You know, I I often think that there's possibly a way for usually, you know, like our administrator or in that position in years past too, was, you know, is always there to try to help facilitate the process so that it doesn't become a complaint. I'm wondering if there might not be a role for for us to do that, for someone to say, hey, I'm available to spend a little bit of time to try and help facilitate this, you know, and if a department were to hear that the task force is, uh, you know, uh, trying to mediate, uh, you know, to facilitate, um, might help. Um, and it might help focus the complainant on uh, on what they're trying to do. I mean, I, I see what like Mr. Kramer's trying to, you know, is it's almost kind of like what uh, Anonymous it, it was doing, but it he, Kramer's trying to get some information that's now leading into there's a there's a more systemic problem here. So uh, the question then becomes whether we could play a role more administratively um, to start with. And if we find through our uh, facilitation that there's a there's a problem, then the, we allow the complaint kind of thing to come through. I don't know, just a thought. Thank you, Member Wolf. And now that it's eight o'clock, I think maybe we move on and go to public comment to the point. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to public comment for this item. If there are any members of the online community who would like to make public comment on this item, please press star three or 
raise your hand using the app. I'll give you a moment, and we do have one caller already. We have two. Um, I'll call on the first caller. Caller, you've been unmuted. Sullivan, tell me when to go. Okay, one moment, Mr. Sullivan. Sure, we'll let you know when you can begin. Are you ready, Mr. Sullivan? Yes. Go ahead. Complaints should be decided on whether the respondent has cited a valid exemption, timeliness, or that a meeting was held appropriately in accordance with public access laws. The legal requirement is not for a member of the public or petitioner to prove. It is not a balanced requirement of evidence. It always seems like every hearing that it is trying to be some sort of balance, but it's really up to the, the respondent to prove. Motions should be made on whether the respondent complied with a public record request or not, or complied with meeting laws. This puts the six vote requirement on the respondent, not the petitioner, who may not know the laws, just that they didn't get the records. Your focus and question should be specific to whether the official complied. I like Mr. Wolf's uh, suggestions a lot in the last one. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Can we have our next caller? Yes. Caller, you've been unmuted. Okay, if you can hear me, uh, I've been unmuted. We can hear you. We can hear you, Peter. Are you ready to begin? Yes. Go ahead, sir. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users. Association Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. Very interesting discussion. I'm glad you're having it. I'm very concerned about a number of things, uh, but let me just start out by saying thank you. I appreciate very much that there's finally, I, I've heard many discussions where there's no mention of the 45-day guideline or requirement for resolution. I think that's extremely important. You know, justice delayed is justice denied. And I do think that part of the problem is that the task force is way too soft, if you like, on crime, if you like. Uh, I think if people knew that by violating the law, they'd have a prompt and very clear consequence if, for example, when they do something wrong, you give them an order to produce documents or to change how they run things or whatever it is, especially if you have the makeup for what they did wrong, I think uh, promptness and also follow-up like with enforcement or whatever you like, including publicity. Uh, second of all, I think that meetings for jurisdiction are a waste of time. The task force over the years has gone back and forth very much over what the committees should do. I think if you met twice a month and skipped by and large the whatever it is you're doing at the committee, just jurisdiction is pretty, I think, pointless. You can decide that pretty quick on your, you know, on your own. Uh, I let me just say that putting limits on the public is one of the ways that very much concerns me, in which you basically are blaming the victim or restricting the victim. 
in which, in, you know, as somebody said to me one time about somebody who litigated, I said, maybe he litigates a lot because he there are violations a lot. And that makes it cheaper by the dozen, as I call it, for the violators if you put a restriction on what the victims, if you like, can do. Um, I do think that there's a tremendous amount of time wasted on seconds. huge pieces of ridiculously irrelevant material in the agenda packets. I think they should be available much sooner than a few days before the meetings. The chair says notices go out two to three weeks before the meeting. I think that is a problem about people who can't make it. Nobody has asked me ever whether I can make it. I almost always have. But I think if you had oh, seriously two to three weeks ahead, you could have people saying, oh, I'm going to be on vacation, I'll be out of town, or whatever it is. And you could have alternates or some system of alternates available. Your time is up, Peter. Thank you. Okay, do we have any more callers? There are no other callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment on this, and I think we're ready to move on to the next item. No action taken. More fun next time. Yep. Yeah, anything that's marked discussion only can't have action, so. That's true. <laughs> Item 9, hearing update on the 2023 annual report. So I will turn this over to Vice Chair Stein. Yeah, I'll keep this very brief. I just want, as you probably know, I've posted just what our original proposal was um, publicly online for Anybody who wants to look at it and members of the task force. Also, I posted an early version of the complaints data that I was uh, tallying. I actually have an updated one I need to put there and I'm, I have a little bit more tallying to do, which I hope to finish tomorrow. Just on the data that we you know, trying to look at what happened with complaints last year. I'm hoping to wrap up this entire report by the end of February. So I'm going to start writing based um, on the complaint stuff uh, soon. We also have our survey, which was approved by the clerk's office to go out to the other bodies in the city. It's just a 10 question survey. You already saw it in the proposal um, and it's going to be going out on Google forms. And I hope that that's going to go out soon. Um, Pat Peterson is helping do this. Uh, and maybe she can give us an update on that if, if she has anything to add. Um, and then uh, I have had a few volunteers and thank you to everyone who's volunteered. I think member LaHood is gonna look at the index to records, the current state of the index to records, which may not have changed at all since last year, but she'll just check on that. Um, member Highland and LaHood have also offered to read uh, a draft version or the draft versions of the report and give their input. But of course, everyone can do that as well because it's going to be put online and you can comment on the Google Doc. Um, and members of the public can just send me their comments and I'll I'll bring them in or or give us the comments in the meetings. Um, Member Schmidt is going to be writing some policy recommendations. I have a few planned and I actually will put a document up. I hope tomorrow that just looks at like here are the issues that we're we want to address. Like. A few individuals have said they want to address so that people aren't, um, you know, doubling down or repeating it, or if they're interested in the same issue, maybe you can collaborate, work together, whatever that is. So that's, that's my whole update. And this is Pat Peterson. Other than administrative tasks, I have no updates to what member Stein has reported. Okay. So would you think we can get these surveys out maybe tomorrow, Pat, or where are we on that? I think tomorrow would be ambitious. I would. I am thinking um, Friday because we are testing 
once again and reviewing okay, data. Great. Okay, thank you. Vice Chair Stein. Yeah. Um, Member Popel, I am um, in support. Uh, that all sounds like a great uh, work plan. I did not uh, recently look at the two Google Docs. We should maybe find a way for things that are listed on the agenda as Google Doc attachments to take a snapshot at the time we're putting the agenda out and make that into a, a PDF uh, packet item because it's unusual, not unprecedented, but unusual for a body to have a link to a Google Doc in its agenda. I'm not saying it's bad, it's just unusual, that's all. Um, and I would, uh, two other things, I was working on my own on a list of department uh, contacts, and so I'm happy to share that with um, Cheryl, Pat, whoever, if that helps facilitate getting the survey to the right people in the department, because there continues to be turnover in the uh, departments for their uh, sunshine contacts. And I think I was trying to be a little too ambitious and cover both records and meetings, and I think I will probably focus on the, the record people first and do the meeting stuff after. But anyway, um, and then the last request I was going to make, if we're going to continue to hear this from time to time before we finally adopt a, a big report, um, is maybe at the, not next week, but maybe March or April meeting before we're ready to adopt the final. Um, if you could uh, bring maybe like a, a one page or a, a few uh, bullets of like the highest level findings, recommendations or themes, like, you know, X number of requests were made. The task force dealt with these big issues last year. These are the things that we're really trying to tackle now, blah, blah, blah. So we can say, yep, we think those themes are, are good and feel free to flesh out. Uh, the rest of it that that makes that work, so that we have kind of an initial check in on the the big picture um, as you're continuing to flesh it out, which is great, by the way. And thank you so much for taking this on. I don't know what you were thinking, but thank you. For oh yeah, that. no, I yeah. well, I'm taking it on. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it'd be really good to understand what's going on with sunshine. And well, yeah. but yeah, um, there you go. Uh, I was going to say we had last year as part of our report a. Um, you know, a kind of summary page up front, and that will definitely come with any draft proposal as well. So there will be a one page. This is like a summary of the main findings and the main recommendations or, you know, whatever it is. I've tried not to have like a strong analysis. I've just, other than to use the, the ordinance itself as the benchmark or you know, to, to draw out the benchmarks of what we're meant to be aiming for. And then I just look at whether we meet those benchmarks or not. Um, but yes, that will be there, a one-page summary. Okay. And I think our continued collaboration in various ways, whether it's um, small meetings or the way we're engaging with uh, departments and uh, uh, petitioners, I think has bridged a bit of the gap that existed in the past that, you know, petitioners do their thing, respondents do their thing, we do our thing, and that they're sort of separate silos. I think we've brought those entities closer together in the uh, past few months, which is great. And hopefully that comes through a bit in the report too. Well, I don't know. The only other thing I would say is given the, um, given the, uh, what people have volunteered to do, there was a whole range of data that we could have collected, yeah. but I, I'm personally doing the complaints data and the survey 
um, of res respondents, like, you know, what does, how many complaints the city received and how they handled them and all of that. And Lila's volunteered to do the index to records, but nobody else has volunteered to do any of the other potential data collection elements. And this felt like enough to me. Um, and it was kind of what we had prioritized. So there were other things that could have been done, including, you know, trying to push more of a survey of petitioners, which we do have online, but but nobody volunteered. And so that's not happening. There's only so much we can do with this particular exercise every year. So again, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Anything else on the annual report? Want to move to public comment? All right, let's move to public comment. If there are any members of the public who would like to speak on this issue, please press star three or raise your hand in the app. I'll give you a moment. I see no callers in the queue. Okay, we'll go ahead and close public comment and move on to item number 10. Item number 10, Hearing Government Transparency Act Initiative 23-0015, review and discuss a potential statewide ballot initiative related to public access to state and local government records. Okay, um, so as some of you may have heard, there I believe is a statewide initiative. I'm not sure where exactly it is in the process, but it certainly has been proposed. I think it's in the signature collection phase um, related to amending the Public Records Act and a variety of other issues. Um, this was something member Pilpel submitted, so I'll turn it over to him to talk about some of the high level details that he you found it felt were noteworthy. Great. Um, thank you. And again, I will try to make this uh, brief and not go through the um, details. I did uh, submit uh, three attachments, which are all in the packet. Um, somehow I got uh, wind of this uh, being out there. It's an initiative uh, statute. It went through, I guess, a first round process and this may be a, a second uh, version yes it says amendment one so um this organization called consumer watchdog out of um la um has submitted this they have title and summary they have um uh, authorization to collect signatures um i think the deadline for this particular um measure is sometime in early april if they collect uh sufficient number of signatures and get them validated, then it may get placed on the uh, November uh, ballot uh, this year. Um, and I'm not arguing in favor or against it. I don't think that's our um, place, but I thought that there were some interesting provisions here that I thought people should see. And this has, um, in my view, some pretty significant uh, implications and a lot of how state and local government would operate in California if this A gets on the ballot and B passes um, and would have some, uh, uh, you know, pretty dramatic effects um, here as well. So um, I, I, again, did not want to either advocate for or against, nor did I want to point to specific provisions, but you've got it all um, before you and um, this might in some ways um, affect our discussion on the next item, both in substance of uh, the types of amendments that we think about for the local Sunshine Ordinance and in some ways the time uh, line that we're looking at 
uh, for amendments there, depending on, again, whether this gets on the ballot and if it passes. Um, and as with, you know, I, I, I think I would just go as far as saying, as with any complicated uh, initiative or uh, legal text, I'm pretty sure there are things in here that one would like and things that one would not like, things that are costly, things that are not so costly. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a mixed bag. So I, I don't think that's going too far to just say that. But I, I, I wanted to bring it before the body in, in case people have other thoughts. Thanks. Thank you, Member Popo. Anyone else on this item? Do you, do you, Member Pilpel, do you know where, what stage of the process and the initiative process this is at? Again, they, they were authorized. I haven't asked when I've seen circulators um, out there if they were circulating this, if they're, you know, getting paid two bucks a signature, what's going on. I have not contacted. Uh, well, this is still just in the signature. It's in the yeah, same. That's what right. I thought last I checked. Um, and generally, the way these things work is they have paid a, a lawyer to to write the thing and submitted it and gotten all of that. The question is whether they a have the funding to uh, do the signature gathering and get sufficient signatures to get it on, and b if they do, are they going to you know raise uh, enough money to to get the darn thing passed? Um, if they've got other reasons to do it, they may have uh, other reasons to be doing whatever they're doing with insufficient funding. But the, these things are not cheap on a statewide basis, period. Mr. Chair. Anderson? Uh, I remember Anderson, then you remember Wolf. Okay. Um, just a quick question on this one, but did you check out the organization that's putting this on the ballot? So can you give us some background information on them? Because that informs many times exactly yeah. why something is being put on the ballot and to what extent we should scrutinize. They, to my understanding, they are a known entity. They are not coming out of uh, nowhere. Um, I don't think this particular individual that signed it is the same person from the organization that is often on Channel 7 with consumer stuff out of LA. This is not, I don't think, but maybe this is the Harvey Rosenfield organization. I can't remember now. Anyway, um, they they are known to do pro-consumer things, as their, their name suggests, um, but this is a pretty significant uh, lift if this, if they're serious about it. That's all I know. Okay, Member Wolf? Yeah, I just uh, want to... Um... You know, I've read through some of their language that they're looking to amend. I haven't finished reading through it, but uh, some of the things that we we might want to contact them for is to assure that uh, things like having a sunshine ordinance uh, remains, the ability for local agencies to provide enhanced uh, enhancements for for. Uh, you know, uh, and and whatnot. If they're, we want to make sure that that the work that we're doing is, uh, you know, is not going to be uh, uh, repealed in any kind of way. Um, I think that that's important. And you know, the crux, the the ordinance isn't 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 the end all be all. We we begin with state law. We end with the sunshine. 
So I think it's important we pay attention to it and connect with them and, and negotiate if we have to, uh, you know, with, with any of the amendments. And we may have to do that through the board of supervisors. I'm not sure how this, how that process would work. Member Wolf, my understanding is that once they start collecting signatures, it's the, the language is, is, is set that they can't, you know, amend it through the, I think that they wanted to change the language that would right. force them to start all over at the beginning. Um, so if they're, if I, and I don't know where they're at with gathering signatures, if they've even gathered one or if this was just submitted, you know, in the preliminary stages, but my guess would be if it's obviously, you know, in the signature gathering phase and they truly are out there gathering signatures and, you know, you'd throw out everything you got already if you tried to make any changes to it. I think it's a little bit early for collecting signatures, isn't it? No, no, it's, it's, we're in full on signature gathering mode. I see them on BART all the time. For November? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for yeah. November. Just yeah. to clarify, um, once they submitted the initial language or the revised language, the attorney general provided the title and summary, then they have, I think, six months, 180 days to gather the required number of uh, signatures. So they're on a clock. And if they submit by that deadline with the sufficient number of signatures, then it gets placed on the November ballot or the next ballot available, which is November. So that's why they're working on uh, that deadline. And if they either choose not to go forward or have insufficient signatures, then it doesn't appear. So it's relatively binary. That's what I know. And, and this is pretty detailed stuff. So I. Don't imagine that somebody like spent five minutes on a Saturday writing this. I think this went through some amount of process on their end. Right, right. Um, that, but what they have is probably what they're going to go with one way or the other. Yeah. I'm looking up the Secretary of State Secretary of State's website is crashing. I mean, I'm trying to see when their deadline is. They have. I it think all it was like early April, something like. And that. It, I think it depends. Yeah, is this for, early for this one? Yeah, because it was October. So yeah, something like. Member that. Anderson. Chairman Yankin, given the fact that they have submitted this information to appears to the Secretary of State, is what they've done. Then, basically, all we can do is monitor what's going on with it. But considering the fact we have several more agenda items and the hour is growing late, I would say that we've done as much as we can do on this discussion and that we should move yep. on. Yeah. Just be aware. Yep. And I second. <laughs> April 3rd is the deadline. So we'll know for sure by April 3rd what's going on with this. Okay. Let's go ahead and see if we have any public comment on this. Persons wishing to make public comment on this item may press star three or raise their hand in the app. We currently have two callers. Unmuting our first caller. Caller, you're unmuted. Thank you. Uh, are you going to let me know when to start? Are you ready? I am. Go ahead. Thank you, Peter Warfield. Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004, yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117. I'm glad you're having this discussion and I'm glad you've attached information. Uh, I wanted to speak on the previous item 
and I thought that I had pressed star three to make myself known. When I heard that there was no public comment, I pressed very rapidly star three over and over and over again, hoping to attract attention like this. Uh, can we pause, Mr. Warfield's time? I, I, okay. hello, I apologize, I Mr. Warfield. I can't, I cannot hear anything because of the system announcements about raising and lowering the hand and please wait until you're called okay, upon Mr. to Warfield, ask a question. Mr. Warfield, um, if you'd like, did you want to comment on this item? If not, I can have Cheryl reset the clock and we can have you give public comment on the prior item, if that's what you're asking to do. Is that what you wanted My to do? My only comment on this is thank you very much for this and the material, and I would like to comment on the previous item. Okay, so I'll have Cheryl go ahead and I'd rather you actually give us your, your comment rather than talking about it. So let me have Cheryl reset the clock to three minutes and go ahead and talk about the annual report item. Thank you. First of all, I wanted to thank Mr. Pilpel for, uh, Member Pilpel for um, suggesting a PDF. Once again, I think Google Docs. Uh, you know, we're talking about a semi-monopoly, uh, basically turning people over to their surveillance economy. And I don't want to do anything with anything that has to do with Google and all that potentially that means. I would like a copy sent of the two documents that are mentioned. I would like to see the survey that's going out and to whom. I'd like to ask as part of the discussion, what's the purpose? Who's the audience of the survey? The purpose, the audience, and who is being sent to? Uh, Library Users Association certainly has had at least one complaint uh, last year. And I haven't heard nor certainly received anything that indicates any interest whatsoever or even the fact of the creation of an annual report. Uh, I had a problem with this last year, and I'm very troubled to hear that there's an annual report that has gotten quite far, and there doesn't seem to be any past or future intention to solicit or to survey or to invite other than Orally, in passing, Member Stein said one could write to her uh, regarding this annual survey. Uh, I mean, sorry, annual report. I am glad that this uh, body is doing the annual report. I know that it's a lot of work, and I certainly appreciate the efforts that anybody has made, including Member Stein, to work on this. But I do think that. As I said, I'd like to get the documents I'm asking about. I'd also like to ask as part of the discussion, what is the survey purpose and who basically are you reaching out to and with what? And when there's a survey also done on some Google or something or another, I would like to get a copy of the survey as it is and be able to mail it or email it to you without the intervention of Google or any other sort of outside agency other than the email. 30 seconds. That's all, I, that's all I have on this, and I would appreciate confirmation that I can get what I've asked for, and especially I'd like to hear about who is being reached out and how with respect to the survey. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Warfield. If you have requests for specific records, could you please follow up directly with the clerk's office on that? Um, public comments not typically the type place to 
do those types of things. Um, so please follow through with, with Cheryl or anyone else at the clerk's office. I'm sure they can help get you those records. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the, we're, we're back now on to public comment for item number 10. Are there any other commenters for item number 10? There is one commenter. Okay. I apologize. One moment, please. Caller, you've been unmuted. Uh, which comment, which one are we on? I apologize, Mr. Warfield. Is there another caller, Mr. Warfield? Yes, commenter, you've been unmuted. Let me know when to go. Are you ready, sir? Yes. Go ahead. I wouldn't hold my breath on this initiative. I've been following it since uh, it came out in August. I've uh, repeatedly tried to ask them about uh, their petitioning and gathering, and you'd think you'd get a reply back, and I've never gotten a reply back. April's about right for uh, signature verification. They require 546,651 uh verified signatures and I doubt they're going to get it and nothing in the initiative that I read uh, would affect sunshine ordinance uh, to exist or not. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Do we have any other callers? There are no other callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and close public comment on this item. Again, this was a discussion only item, so there's no action. We can move on to item number 11. Item number 11, hearing sunshine ordinance amendment process. Receive an update from the compliance and amendments committee regarding their work considering various amendments to the sunshine ordinance and discuss a potential timeline for action by the full task force. Okay, um, so this is an item that we talked about a few months ago. Um, unfortunately, I don't believe CAC has had a chance to meet, or if they did, only one additional time since we last heard this. Um, that was, again, due to some of those administrative errors that had a cancellation that was forced. Um, so here we are now in almost February, and a deadline is quickly approaching for putting anything on the ballot for the November election. And so I thought this was important for us to talk about, again, what goals, objectives we have as a collective group. Um, do we want something, anything to potentially be, you know, put forward on November ballot? Again, obviously, we don't have the ability ourselves to put anything on the ballot. This would be us making a recommendation to members of the board to do so. Um, or any other group that, that, that can do that. Um, so I kind of open it up from there. I don't know if people have thoughts now that we're, what, give or take four months closer to the impending deadline on that. I don't know if anyone's on um, or Pilpa, have you been to one of the CAC meetings since you joined or? Yes. So maybe you can, you and I think member Wolf are, are both on CACs. So. Yeah, the compliance and amendments did not meet in December. We met in October. Uh, we, I hope we'll meet again in February. Um, my, my sense overall is that the ordinance definitely needs attention and updating. My sense is also that that is not a simple matter, involves 
the task force involves input from uh, petitioners, from respondents, from other actors in the city, uh, others outside the city. That it's it it should not be a, a simple again, not a simple five minute thing on a Saturday. Um, I think doing it right takes a lot of time. I think there are different ways to do it. We've talked about that in in the past. Um, I would suggest that if we if we're serious about wanting something on for November, we should we should work through a process that results in getting something before the board or before the voters that is meaningful that isn't just, hey, let's do this because we can do this. Um, I think it can be either as ambitious as let's fix everything and let's get as much consensus and let's build support and let's yada, 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 or it can be as narrow as let's fix the language on the disability seat, okay? Uh, I think what's more likely is that it's somewhere in between um, and it either says here are some big structural fixes and then let's leave it to the task force and the board to uh, flesh out the rest of it and that will take time to run through a process um, or it can be San Franciscans for Sunshine wants bang, bang, bang. Those are high profile things. Let's do some version of that and either leave it at that or empower others to flesh out the details. There are a variety of different paths that this can uh, go down. I think that there are a relatively small number of uh, consensus items that are either fixing language, code references, um, that sort of thing. And then I think there are things that arguably increase costs, burdens, and requirements, arguably for good reason. And there are other things that arguably save money, reduce burdens, uh, relax uh, requirements. Again, for good reason. And there's likely some interplay between the two, those two categories where you say, you know, on the one hand, we're willing to spend another 100,000 to do, blah, 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 blah. On the other hand, we can save 20 cents by doing this thing, whatever. Lots of different ways this can play out. Um, I'm very interested in what Chair LaHood would have to say um, in her absence. I'd uh, also like to hear what um, Member Wolf. Yeah, uh, thanks. Thank you. Uh, Member Wolf, did you want to weigh in on this since you're part of CAC? Uh, you know, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Wow. Okay, so uh, members, do we have any thoughts on this? Um, I, I want to say I thought it was, what, June or July that the board, if they're going to put anything on, the ballot has to... The final deadline is right. like... July or August, but in, in practice, in order to introduce something, it's got to be introduced by like May. By, um, right. Yeah, and and right. And to work this through and hearings and all right. that would really be more right. like. And I would assume the more ambitious it gets, the longer and more time that would take. And so, yeah, and, I think recognizing where we're at now in you know, essentially February. And, and there we talked about tension on earlier items. I think there's an appropriate tension between the effort to go through any kind of ballot measure versus what you might get out of it. So 
I'm personally, regardless of my view on the disability seat, I think to go through all of that effort just to change the words is kind of not worth doing. At the same time, to go through a major effort and say, we're going to wait until we've got the perfect version, there's never going to be a perfect version. So, you know, how much time do we want to invest to get a better thing that we think can get public support and make sense to do and the city can implement during our lifetime, mm -hmm. right? Those are some things to, in, to wrestle in, in a potential budget crisis. Yeah, yeah, that too, right. <laughs> right. With, with elected officials who are coming and going and all of that. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd, I'd just I'd be open to you know to exploring all that and uh, you know seeing about moving it moving something through at least for all the the basic changes, getting it up you know basic stuff up to date, um, you know that that kind of thing. But uh, I it, it, there's some. There's some issues that comes with that process, uh, but I I think that's something we should uh, we can start and start discussions about. If if I got follow up, mm -hmm. I, I'm not averse to that, frankly, uh, Member Wolf. I mean, if we had uh, a proposal that did some minor uh, cleanup and had you know a big section that required, frankly this task force and the board by a, a, a specific deadline, even if it's, you know, 18 months or two years from now to amend the ordinance with a two thirds vote here and a two thirds vote there, right? Or something like that, right? But that gave real direction to prioritize that, then it might actually get done rather than talking about it as we've been doing for years and years and years and years. So that's a thought. We'll, we'll get, um, Member Wolf, you, you and I, I think we'll get into this more at the next uh, CAC meeting in a good way. Sure. Okay. Um, is it fair to say then if anything is truly going to come out one way or the other as a formal recommendation from the task force, it would probably have to be our May meeting. Is what it sounds like timeline wise. Uh, I think no later than, I think likely earlier. Uh, Victor, is Victor on? Victor, is the uh, schedule for the November election up on the uh, board website yet? Or, or it's not. Okay. But in general, does it sound about right that uh, introduction for an ordinance uh, would be around uh, May? I, I don't, I can't think of what the specific uh, date was. It's 180 days before the. Yeah. That, that's what I'm thinking. So early May. So. Yeah, like likely our April or May meeting, and it yeah. might be a special I mean, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So, with that in mind, we need to figure out what, if anything, and maybe it's, right, right, and, and maybe the decision is is we like you said we do wait eighteen months, but everyone keep that in mind. If if, if it's something you think we should push for November, that's that's what the deadline is. So we don't have to and, talk about specifics now. People can think about it, and and we should bear in mind that we're. Thinking about that as at the same time as Vice Chair Stein is working on the annual report, Chair Schmidt is working on the complaint process. We're trying to work through the case log. We've got other things happening. You know, it's not like we're on vacation here. Not at mm -hmm. all. We've got a lot going on. Yep. So that's for sure. Okay. Let's uh, be realistic. 
anyone doesn't have anything more for this item, we can go ahead and move along uh, and into public comment first, though. If there are members of the public who would like to speak on this matter, please wait. Raise your hand by pressing star three or raise your hand in the app. It's also possible as a reminder to have direct conversations with me as the host, Pat Peterson, um, in the chat. If you are using the app, um, we have one uh, hand. I would like to interrupt that. We do not use chat uh, due to other requirements. Thank you, Victor. My apologies. Please raise your hand using star three or raise your hand in the app. That might be helpful. We have one caller. I am unmuting. Okay. Caller, you're unmuted. Uh, thank you. Let me know when uh, you'd like me to start. Cheryl? Yeah. You're ready for me. Mr. Warfield, you ready to begin? Yes. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at Yahoo.com and also P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544. Thank you very much for having this discussion. And I think it's clear that one of the problems with Sunshine is the lack of enforcement or any kind of uh, real uh, consequence for violations. Uh, when we were, uh, despite a court case, when, <clears throat> excuse me, when you voted unanimously that the library commission, who supposedly are doing all their work through their personal computer, uh, sorry, compu uh, their, their personal whatever email, uh, they simply came back and said they weren't gonna follow what you wanna do. Now, whether or not you did what you're supposed to do, as I understand it by the law, and that is to forward it for enforcement, I still don't think that those efforts have in the past been very effective as the members are all too keenly aware. And I think that there really needs to be something that makes it a little more public and perhaps a little more painful for there to be a violation. And that's something that I think would be worthwhile for you to figure out. I've thought, for example, that perhaps there ought to be something like the agendas for a body have to indicate what the department violations have been, say, for the last six months and put it up there for uh, six months and maybe with a progress report uh, in conjunction with the uh, Sunshine Task Force, something that gives more publicity and visibility to their violations and the nature of their violations. Otherwise, I don't have any particular specifics. I know that with Sunshine for decades, it has been a problem enforcement, and I think that that would actually cut the violations a lot more if there were effective enforcement of your, uh, certainly, violation findings. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any other callers? We have no other callers in the queue. Okay, we'll go ahead and close public comment on this and move on to item number 12. Item number 12 hearing 
Controllers Citywide Nonprofit Monitoring and Capacity Building Program Fiscal Year 2022 to 2023 Annual Report. Review and discuss the fiscal year 2022 to 2023 annual report and potentially approve a letter to the controller with related recommendations. Okay, uh, this was another one that member Pelpel asked to put on the agenda, so I will turn it over to him. Um, thank you. Good that I was at tonight's meeting. Never mind. Um, okay, I also happened upon this towards the end of the year and thought that this was an interesting report. The task force in the past has been um, particularly engaged with 12L uh, issues. Uh, in my experience, we have been involved with that in the last few months a little bit, but not quite as much as um, historically, but that also has uh, varied. Um, and as it turns out, last week, one of the items at um, education outreach and training involved uh, San Francisco safe and the very next day the executive director of that organization was apparently let go and there's all kinds of whatnot um, over there so it just seemed to me between the 12l issues um, as I referred earlier um, to the Carl Kramer um, MCO and CODB uh, complaints, that um, the something along the lines of the uh, suggested letter that's in the packet, uh, page 38 on this item, um, seemed to make sense um, to me. I thought, uh, I just think that we have not engaged as much recently with the controller's office, and it would be good to try to do that some more and to flag in particular those MCO and, and 12L um, issues. I think um, in general, the city tries to do a good job with nonprofit organizations in a variety of ways, providing services and whatnot, but results vary. And, you know, what did um, a famous person once said that, you know, trust but verify. So you, uh, we really do need to monitor these relationships and whether it's um, a nonprofit providing uh, health or human services work or the zoological society, the arrangement with the fine arts, uh, museums, SF safe, all of these entities have their particular peculiarities, um, and continuing to monitor build capacity and fundamentally ensure compliance, uh, with the relevant laws, I think is worthwhile. And I think our piece of that. Uh, is primarily in uh, 12L. And so I, I thought that something like this uh, brief letter or memo um, would be useful. And unless there's some huge, huge objection, I'd be happy to uh, move authorizing it. Comment. I'm open to hearing that from others. Uh, member Wolf, go ahead. Yeah, so um, uh, thanks for bringing this forward, uh, Member Pilpel. It's uh, 12L is... Uh, you know, kind of elusive for a lot of us, uh, you know, but over the years, you know, we do get our very interesting cases around it. One for me was the uh, Bayview Opera House and the relationship it has with the city and and whatnot. There was a lot of complaints that came around that at one period of time. But I think if we're talking about amendments to the ordinance, 
that this must also be in there too. Um, uh, because what we end up finding many times is that the city doesn't do a very good job of maintaining records, uh, you know, that, that have to do with these contractors. Uh, so, um, you know, that that's all I wanted to say. I think it, it's a worthwhile, it's worthwhile to, to revisit that and look at maybe amendments that's well about too. Good luck getting it through the. Thank you, Member Wolf. Anyone else on this topic? Any thoughts on whether or not we should send a letter or the proposed letter that's attached? But I wonder if it if it might not. I don't know. It it. What's the crux of the letter? I didn't uh, get a chance to read, get that far down to read the, and the agenda. Hey, go ahead, Member Popel. Two things. The the three recommendations, it's on page 38 of the um, packet for this item. The recommendations are to call out more specifically in future annual reports, their annual reports, the MCO and Chapter 12L requirements. Two, to call out. Uh, any specific organizations that did not meet their MCO or ch uh, Chapter 12L requirements, and three to review and update the citywide nonprofit monitoring and capacity building program materials on the city's website, noting that some of those materials are 10 years old and some links are broken or not current. Um, and it asks at the end that we be kept uh, uh, informed on this and who's the best contact and that sort of thing. Um, the Primary reason I wanted to do this at this time is Rosenfield, the current city controller, who's uh, been there for 16 years now, um, is leaving or retiring. And uh, Greg Wagner has um, been nominated to be the uh, next uh, city controller. And I thought getting some closure with uh, Ben on this um, would be useful during their time of uh, transition. Um, they're we we had a, a pretty good engagement with the controller's office uh, staff years ago, but that was when Peg Stevenson ran the city services auditor unit. She has since uh, retired. Natasha Mihal is now running that, and um, I don't think she's been to the task force at all yet. So um, it, it's it's a really short letter, and it doesn't say a lot, but I think it's fine. Other members. Yeah, I thought the new controller was voted on already. No, it's a it's a ten year uh, term nominated by the mayor, confirmed right. by the board of supervisors. I'll I'll move, I thought it went to the board. Already. I'll move to approve uh, that it be sent. Okay, moved by Member Schmidt to authorize us to send this letter. Do we have a second on that? I will second. Okay, seconded by Member Pilpel. Uh, any discussion on that? If not, we'll move to public comment. Members of the public wishing to make public comment may press star three or raise their hand in the app. We currently have one caller. Okay. Caller, you've been unmuted. Thank you. You ready, Peter? Uh, give me one moment, please. Yes. <clears throat> Go ahead. 
Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at Yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. Mail, much privacy. Email, not so much. Uh, this is very interesting. Um, it's the last page. It's hard to find page 28. A search doesn't provide any hits at all. Uh, one of the things that I think has been a bit of a mystery, and uh, I haven't, uh, well, there is a section of Sunshine, and I can't cite you the exact section. Probably some of your members may be able to. And it says that any organization that uh, has a relationship, and I'm not sure if it's only for folks that receive money from the city, I believe it also applies to an organization that gives money to a city department. They have to agree to follow Sunshine um, open open access to information and documents and so on. Uh, that, to my knowledge, has not been tested, although I think that is a very significant section of the, of the uh, ordinance. What it means is that basically uh, if the recipient or the, the agency that has a relationship with a, a city department is doing business with that department in some fashion that they need to be, at least for the aspects related to the business, they need to be open to uh, Sunshine. I'd be interested to know whether anybody, especially some of your longer-term members, recalls any complaints or cases that you have heard. I don't, but I think that it's a very significant thing. I think it's important uh, in, terms of in terms of transparency and keeping track of what's happening with city funding for city programs. So Very I think that that's something you might want to consider in this letter or perhaps a future one, uh, whether the controller is also concerned with whether they are open and uh, in the way that they're supposed to be under sunshine. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any other callers? There are no other callers in the queue. Oh, uh, Member Kumar. Um, I was just wondering if we do send this letter, is it possible to maybe give them a timeline for response? Like ideally if they could respond within a certain period of time, because right now it seems open-ended and it can happen that we never get a response or we get, we get a response after a year. Just wondering. Um, to respond, I think we could, I think in practice, I know those people, I'll find somebody, we will likely get a timely response. I don't think, um, I think as long as Ben Rosenfield is in office, he'll want to respond on his signature and not leave it to his successor. So I think we would get a response. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chair. Go ahead, Member Wolf. Yeah, um, I would wonder, you know, I'm wondering, you know, this puts a lot, you know, it does put onus on the um, organiza organizations. Uh, 
that did it. I mean, you're asking for reporting here, basically. Um, so I, I, I'm just wondering, Member Pilpel, if, if through the chair, if I may, uh, are you seeking for it just to be, you know, kind of a review and to highlight things, or are you asking for 12L to be implemented? Uh, in a certain way, should there not be something a little more, you know, kind of active, like the city, you know, the con the city contracting agency should, you know, assure that, you know, organizations meet 12L requirements, you know, that kind of thing versus it just being in a report. I don't know if the controller can can direct make those directives or not just the thought um so briefly in response i didn't have like a whole huge 12l work program in mind um the controller's office has various performance measures and questions and checklists and whatnot for nonprofit organizations i just wanted to sort of raise highlight make more visible both the mco and and 12l uh requirements and if this leads to a bit of a dialogue with whoever's the best person um over there um i might i might have that dialogue personally and say you know given the organizations that we've heard about in the last few months whether it's um sf safe uh connard house um fine arts music whatever right that the entities that we're hearing about that they might want to flag them and say okay the next time they come in or come up on a list please ensure that they're you know responding to requests about uh the mco or yeah. um and adhering to their 12l requirements yeah okay i get it in, in, in the main i think people are doing what they need to do it's just those that aren't they need a little more attention, then that's what this whole program is about. Yeah, okay. Moving on, thank you. And, and, and I just note that um, actually on the January 23rd meeting, the new controller was approved by the Board of Supervisors. So I'm not sure this will really go to Ben Rosenfield. I, I think they're gonna have some transition okay. time. Okay. I don't I just, know when, I, I don't think he's been sworn in yet, but yes, Okay. coming soon. Okay, uh, I think we're ready for a vote then. Cheryl, when you're ready. Member Schmidt. Aye. Member Schmidt, I. Member Pilpel. Aye. Member Pilpel, I. Member Kumar. Aye. Member Kumar, I. Member Anderson. Aye. Member Anderson, I. Member Sugarman. Aye. Member Sugarman, I. Member Wolf. Aye. Member Wolf, I. Member Hill. Absent. Aye. No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> there you. So quiet. I'm here. Well, I'm glad you're here. Yes. Uh, Member Highland absent. Member LaHood absent. Vice Chair Stein. Aye. Vice Chair Stein. Aye. Chair Yankee. Aye. Chair Yankee. Aye. One, two, three, four, five, six, nine. Nine in favor and two absences. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to item number thirteen.
Item number 13 here, review recent Court of Appeal opinions in Bond Graham versus Alameda County Superior Court, City of Oakland, case number A165187 and First Amendment Coalition versus San Francisco Superior Court, parentheses Bonta, case number A165888. Okay, again, this is a member Pell Pell items. I will turn it over to him to discuss. Um, thank you. I'll just introduce a bit of um, good news. Um, I am hoping to be at next week's meeting, but uh, late, so you'll you'll miss a few hours of me, and that'll be great for everyone, including me. Um, anyway, I happened upon the Bond Graham case. Uh, I don't, a month, six weeks ago. Um, and then I more recently uh, came across the First Amendment Coalition case. I don't have much to say. Uh, I just wanted to get those before you. I thought they both um, had some interesting language about um, redactions and uh, making documents uh, available and the police officer's procedural bill of rights that codified it. Um, uh, Civil Code uh, Section 832.7, um, or sorry, Penal Code Section 832.7. Um, and it, since we have a, a few cases involving the police department and police records, and police records have generally been um, a, a difficult topic in California, um, I thought it was useful to get these cases before you. Um, when I find these things, I intend to, you know, bring them if they seem interesting to the task force. Um, we could probably do a slightly better job of asking the city attorney's office when they see things like this uh, to send them to us just so that we're aware. Um, I don't know that any of this specifically binds us or does anything uh, other than just inform our thinking about um, police department records. That was all. They just seemed interesting. Thank you, Member Pelpel. Do we have anyone else speak on this? Should we go ahead and move to public comment? Uh, just a quick, just a quick note, Mr. Uh, Chair. Was sure, there, was, did um, legal counsel, our legal counsel, highlight and this any of these cases, or uh, was it? floated by them at all no i've not I, heard from them I, was, I made them aware of but i but i didn't you know and it, it may well be that the government team or public protection folks monitored this sort of thing i'm not sure if the task forces um attorneys are typically monitoring uh court cases involving uh brown act public records or Sunshine, unless we're specifically named or implicated, and maybe that's something I can talk to them about to try to get a little more visibility on that. Yeah, they they do from time to time. Uh, like when Smith versus San Jose happened, they were, you know, on the spot. They were spot. Yeah, and, and don't we typically get a report? I mean, it, or should it be in the report from the supervisor of records that we get annually? I think they there there is a line in there yeah, that I had asked it. Court, right in court cases, but that yeah. tends to be much later. Yeah. Right, so. I, uh, as the attorney in the group, I took a look at each case. I think that they're of limited 
significance in in that one is very fact based and the other is um uh it it spends a lot of time analyzing laws that are pretty arcane uh state laws what i thought the biggest takeaway on the bongar bond graham case was uh that they um said that officers cannot take advantage of um the the um exemptions for witness statements to the extent that witnesses who are not officers could so you basically the the court was sort of saying that officers can't be saying oh we're just witnesses and so none of our statements we, we get the same protection the um other case the first amendment coalition i think that the primary holding in that case is significant because it confirms that these 832.7 cases which is the police misconduct um I, I'm sorry, the 832.7 revisions, which goes to records of police misconduct and expanding the availability to the public of mis, uh, police misconduct uh, records, that it's confirmed now that that might override other state law that exists, that would exempt records. So that's something we might see. It's a very interesting kind of thing that is, you don't necessarily see it where courts are talking about a, one law, just it, 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 overriding another state law, but they only override them if they directly conflict with them. So, Whenever we see an 832.7 case, definitely we'll want to know if either of these comes into play. It's a very complex area of law. Thank you, Member Schmidt. Anyone else, or should we move to public comment? All right, let's go ahead and move to public comment on this one. If you wish to make public comment, press star three or raise your hand in the app. Currently see no callers. Okay, one I, last check. Uh, I have a question for uh, David. Um, what was the penal code you were referring to? Um, penal code section 832.7. And I agree with Chair Schmidt, it is a complex, right? You can talk about pitches, motions, and all kinds of fun stuff. And yeah. Never mind. Okay, so no hands for public comments still. I think we're good to move on. No hands raised. Thank you for confirming. Okay, we'll go ahead and close public comment and move on to the next item. Item, let's see. Oh my goodness. Item number 14, announcements, comments, questions, and future agenda items by members of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force. Okay, I just have one quick future agenda item just to update everyone that um, you may recall from our last meeting, we passed a motion to disclose an attorney-client privileged memo, pending conf written confirmation from the city attorney that that was okay with them, even though they verbally told us in the meeting that it was. Um, I received written confirmation that that was not okay 
with the city attorney's office. And so they've essentially changed their opinion. So I will be putting that on February as a future agenda item for us to consider in light of that new information. Um, I don't want to go into the details. The city attorney will talk about other options and all, and all that, but just to give everyone a heads up that is coming. And you said, you said, uh, March. February, no, it's not February. <laughs> Member Popo. I had a, a different item. I mentioned this at last week's meeting. I'll, uh, again, keep this brief. I just wanted to reflect for a moment, not on the substance, but a bit about feelings, which I don't often talk about. Um, relative to the Board of Supervisors um, ceasefire resolution from uh, the last few weeks. Although there were strong views on, you know, both sides and in the middle on that and a huge amount of public interest and public comment, both when it was first introduced at committee and at the full board. Um, and as much as I support and I think the task force and the ordinance supports everyone's right to um, have a viewpoint and express their viewpoint um, civilly and respectfully. Um, I think that particular resolution had a lot of feelings implicated um, as relates to individuals who either have uh, family there or friends, loved ones, et cetera, or strongly held views, and we should, in my view, try to be aware and balance as much as possible people's ability to express themselves and feel comfortable both in expressing themselves and in hearing other people's point of view. And that's not always easy, and that was a particular instance that had very and continues to have very um, strong impacts on uh, individuals. Not everyone felt good about how that happened. And I'll just try to leave it at that. Thanks. Thank you, Member Pelpel. Anyone else for this item? Jerry Aiki. Uh Yeah, go ahead. Um, just real quick, I just wanted to request that we um, place the full board um, schedule and the committee uh, schedule for 2024 as far as we can on our public website. We still have 2023. Yep, yeah, good point. I actually emailed Cheryl about that, I think, last week. I caught it too. Okay. Good job. <laughs> so, yeah, because we did approve that and I think it was our, our January meeting, the schedule. So, let's get all the things updated. Um, and then I'll just bring it up. The other thing I'm going to discuss in, in the first part of tomorrow, not tomorrow, next week, <laughs> is um, Committee assignments again, and kind of everyone can make a pitch because we have new members and see if we can get committee assignments uh, solidified. So, for the new folks who aren't on a committee, if you're interested in joining one, now is a good time to take a look so that when we meet next week, you can kind of lay claim to a, a spot you might like. And and to that point, committees don't have to be three members; they just can't be more than five members. So, if there's a committee and you want to be on it, and you see three people, it doesn't mean you can't be member number four. That's that's perfectly okay. Or, or five. Yep, so number chair, one. Yeah. So um another thing is is you know, we've been patient, patient about uh getting a database um you know through the services of the 
clerk's office. I'm just wondering, you know, with the stat, I'd like to get a status report on that. Um, and uh, also about a website. Member Wolf, the, um, I know you've kind of, they really haven't been meeting as the IT committee, but as chair of that in its semi-active state, did you want to go ahead and reach out to uh, clerk's office management and see if you can get an update? I mean, certainly sure. feel free to do so. Sure, and I know um, Member Hill, you know, he also is very interested in that. Right. He's got background here actually with the city. So um, I'll, I'll happy to confer with him and uh, we can go forth on that. Thank you. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the latest is on the database, but I thought that Member Hill had taken on the website work. Yeah, we talked about that last week at the EOT meeting. Okay. Okay, anything else for this item? If not, we'll move to public comment. Let's do public comment. If you'd like to make public comment on this item, please press star three or raise your hand in the app. We currently have one hand raised. You are unmuted. Thank you. Peter, are you ready? Uh, yes, please give me the 30-second warning. You can begin. Peter Warfield, I'll refer to my contact information mentioned in each of the other items that I've commented on. Thank you for discussing or mentioning what you would like on future agenda items. I would like to ask for the chair to perhaps flesh out a little bit what opinion he would like to make public, what the issue, what the case was, uh, what the matter was. Um, my recollection is that the original task uh, Sunshine Ordinance specified specifically by law that no communication regarding Sunshine matters would be confidential uh, even if it came from the city attorney. I think uh, there was a suit, a lawsuit, that overturned that piece. But it is my understanding, and I'd certainly be interested in the chair's opinion and perhaps others, including the attorney, is the case not, is it not the case that the client decides whether something is confidential or not when they're getting advice from an attorney? And isn't it just simply up to you whether you want to reveal what the advice was. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Warfield. And um, that is exactly what we had as an agenda item in January and had that discussion. And that's what we're going to be having another discussion about in February. It's that exact point that you raised, whether or not we as the client should or should not waive attorney-client privilege. So I would refer you to our January 3rd meeting minutes if you're more interested in that topic. Okay, any other public commenters? There are no other callers in the queue. Okay, we'll go ahead and close public comment and move on to our final item. Item number 15, adjournment. Okay, do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Moved by Member Anderson, seconded by Member Stein. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, ayes have it. We are adjourned at 9.18 p.m.
Ending the recording. This was so much.